and we're rolling. Can you put a price on cheese? Uh, Dave, that's um real good. Really like the energy on that one, but um don't don't think that's I don't think that's the one. Uh, maybe uh maybe uh maybe try another word. Okay, and uh, we're rolling. Take two. Yeah, again, delivery, hot, uh, hot delivery, really love the energy. But again, that word, uh, I, I don't think we're there yet. So uh, why, don't, why don't we try this again, okay? Uh, take three, and we're rolling. Can you put a price on fleas? Ooh, fleas. Uh, I think we're getting closer, but I feel like at the same time we're also not. But you know what? The energy's good. Energy's good. Um, I, I, I think, I, I think, uh, I feel good about I feel good about the energy. I'm gonna keep riding that energy. All right. So don't worry so much on the word, but um, let's keep that same energy. Um, all right. Uh, and we're rolling. Can you put a price on? Peace. Tell us how you do. Come on, Dave. Hey, 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 hey. One break coming up. So far, so far, so far, so far, so far, so far. Siana con clavi, siana con Dio, siana con nostro Dio scura. Oh, there you are. Hey, what's up, man? Siana con clavi. <laughs> Long since we did this one. Yeah. Or this one we've never done, but long since we did this because we've had the takeover, we had the punt on, which is an entirely different yeah. vibe altogether. I almost forgot, and I've even had a little break with Eric on Maiden A to Z now recently because mm-hmm. uh, we didn't need to record, and he's off to the States again. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. That's right. So uh, I haven't been doing this in a while. Uh, I don't know how to, and that's the my favorite uh, version of it. You know, I don't like knowing how to uh, too much. Yeah. You know, when it comes to this, so it's good to be Fresh. back. Good to see him. Uh, yeah. Is it even? It's not Dawn Patrol. It hasn't started yet, right? Over in Below. Oh no! 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 It's uh no. It's a, still very very dark. <laughs> And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's middle of middle of Easter as well. Do you make a deal about Easter? What's the deal? Do I? <laughs> I mean, not you personally. This is kind of you know the the segment where I discover the buffalo culture, so I'll be ready. Um, Easter actually is a is a big deal here, um, just because we have a big Catholic community and right. we have a big Polish community, and uh. It's it's really big with the Polish community yeah, because and the Catholic. So it's yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't be yeah. probably wouldn't be a factor. I don't think. But no, but they go they go hard on it here. So it's it's like we have like uh, the 
just the Polish community in Buffalo is very, very just, it's very big. So they celebrate Dingus Day here and we do all that stuff. And it's like a, Easter is a big deal here just in general. But I mean, as far as me personally and like my household is concerned, it's never really been, I mean, it was when I was younger, Mm -hmm. but like now, I mean, we're going to get together with some family today, but like, it's not because of any desire to celebrate the day of the lord's so you didn't you know. like hide an egg you just kept doing the, those like um, wwf moves on your one-year-olds <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, well it was a good, well, good we photos ce- actually we, <laughs> we celebrate the uh the tradition of the easter bunny more than we do the uh the the, the arisal from of the lord from the tomb yeah we celebrate the easter bunny culture not so much the jesus part yeah of it, that's but. that's true actually it's interesting I, I mean i am interesting in that kind of stuff interested in that kind of stuff because it's a lot of pagan left in in all those like traditions i mean we don't even call mm-hmm. it christmas right in sweden we still use it i mean we celebrate it just as normal as you you guys do one day off though like one day earlier but uh it's not called christmas yule yeah, I, honestly, I, didn't, I was going to ask about the whole Easter thing because I wasn't really sure because my wife was like, he he's going to, I was like, I'm going to do, we're doing the podcast tomorrow. And she's like, he's six hours ahead. He's, he, he's, he's not going to be in the middle of his day. And I go, I don't know if it's that big of a deal over there. They're all Vikings. <laughs> yeah, well, we used to do something right around Easter, I think, then, like a, probably a spring party then, right? right? Some kind of spring rite, I guess. Okay. Yeah, but uh, it was in Posk. It's called Posk over here. P-O-S-K. Oh, okay. Uh, the O is the A with a ring above it. Posk. So, okay. Posk. <laughs> I don't know if you remember from Yule, where we talked about Yule Must, which was uh, is that kind of carbonated root beers kind of drink. Yes. Uh, yeah, we, yes now I it's do. back again yeah. with another label. <laughs> Posk Must. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I recently saw Alexander Skarsgård's character in Succession drinking Posk Must and Eating Swedish candy in the middle of the night. Oh, nice! Uh, as some kind of you know dark, uh, dark behavior, but not with cocaine or anything. You know, just Swedish <laughs> poor candy. You know, imagine the least healthy stuff. That is just sugar. You could, you could if if that's if that's dark, then if that's your if that's the dark thing, then then that's whoever's proprietor of that kind of dark is doing all right. It could be much darker. <laughs> yeah but easter used to be big because uh, christianity was bigger now it's christianity is kind of minor and it didn't find its own feet so it's kind of the it's kind of the i guess it's a big ticket holiday that's something eric usually says big ticket holidays but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah so i guess it is one go with that. you got a few days off as well but uh, it's also the one that no one cares about not really i mean i don't know anyone that hypes it but as a kid, we did the painting eggs, finding eggs. Oh yeah, yeah, we do all that shit still. But 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 there's really it's really absent of the whole, um, I guess the original, the pre-Christian one. I remember now is about fertility, of course. So it's basically like a, a big big ass orgy. That's what it used to be. <laughs> <And> that's why <laughs> that, like, the bunny that, is a symbol for that. The egg is a symbol for that. So the egg, you know, it's, it's a very pagan thing. It's not something from from the Bible, you know. <laughs> right? Ain't no, no, eggs no there. definitely not. Or maybe I, I was not aware of the uh, the fertility. Yeah, uh, there's, there's something about that going on. Yeah, that, that that's, makes sense. That's different for sure. That makes sense. <laughs> you know, you can finally see stuff. You can finally like yeah. uh, identify which genitals <laughs> are in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's been dark. We still got snow yeah. out too. 
that's 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 uh, you know there's no no need for that now <laughs> not no need no no, no, no need we're for in that. spring yeah but that's where well, we're, we're not i always i always say we're never really in the clear here until probably early may because we've gotten snow in may before you know so yeah same but I feel like we're, I feel pretty good at the, I'm looking at the forecast of the weather coming up and everything is going to be, you know, upper temperatures starting next week. So hopefully that, hopefully we're done with snow for the, until, you know, November or December, but you know, who knows. While on the cross Atlantic shit chatter, um, what's the body temperature in Fahrenheit? Like the normal the body what? temperature of a human being. What, what would that be in Fahrenheit? Oh, 98.6 oh, so about 100 yeah so a little yeah. below yeah okay yeah. So that, then then i can also now i can also fahrenheit <laughs> via that reference because <laughs> i know the inches right. and feet oh right i i know i'm six one and that's enough info to kind of get by with feet and inches you know yeah you know? yeah i just measure everything well, yeah, well, every, my I don't, own height. everything is different I mean, it seems like we're the only ones that are holding on to that everywhere else yeah i yeah, know they're shit they're really bad <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing actually <laughs> that you are <laughs> i have to no, say you know but, you know dude, i'm a lover I mean, of, of the states but it's a bit embarrassing to, that you hold on to those to, to be fair it's almost like if that, that's almost like a challenge right there it's pretty embarrassing you guys and i feel like if that's true if if if, if we hear someone from another country say that it's it's a hold our beer yeah and, uh, yeah and then i kind of start respecting <laughs> it again so it always goes full circle with the, with with america and me yeah. <laughs> well, if you think that's embarrassing if you think that's embarrassing wait five minutes <laughs> <laughs> america will will uh will certainly make uh the the holding on to our uh measurement in a boxcar lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's yeah I, I thought about this before we started today because today is peace sells but who's buying it's the title of the episode it is mm -hmm. the song we're going to look at and if you're like i don't know if you who would be that stressed but if you are that stressed that you jump to this episode and you think you're going to hear about the album you got nine episodes to backtrack <laughs> about yes. thereabouts i think i think we did eight yes episodes around this and mostly right on this theme which is um Peace Sells But Who's Buying, but now the song and also the album conclusion. So mm -hmm. concluding shit, and it's the, by far the biggest song we've ever focused in on in an episode. I think it's it's definitely been our most exhaustive uh, album presentation as well, too. Basically, I'm just saying PSLs is one of those best of oh, yeah? hard rock, best of heavy metal. You buy it in a gas station on CD back in the day. <laughs> it's got PSLs on there. Yes. It's got Overkill sometimes, yep. too. That's cool. And, and then you'll get like um, Scorpions for sure, Rocky like a Hurricane. Oh Maybe, yeah. Um, uh, what Hell the, yeah. Great, the great ballad, the most known one. Uh, oh, um, still loving you. Yeah, still loving you. That's yeah. a good song too. So anyway, oh, Peace Else is right there. Uh, everyone's heard it. I think it must have been among the very first Megadeth I heard. Like not long after I heard uh, Skin on My Teeth and Symphony which were the first that was the first patch not long after it was when my friend had just bought this record and i think mm -hmm. we listened to wake up dead before and then skipped to this and then back to conjuring or something like that because mm -hmm. uh, you know you have it's a, by far the easiest song to digest as well on this record oh it's 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 probably the song that it gets a lot of the material after Peace sells as far as other songs on the record. 
they're a lot more difficult to digest. And as a matter of fact, the song Peace Sells itself is kind of a misleading introduction track to the record. Um, well, it, it wasn't is very the introduction, right? As you mentioned, it was Wake Up There. Right. And that's maybe why I was kind of trying to say that that made sense because Wake Up Dead introduces the correct genre. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're hearing the record from, like, I presume, I mean, I know this is how I did it. I presume this is how probably a lot of people did it just because it was the single, but like, or a single, but like, um, like that was the first time, like that was my introduction to that record was through that song. So if you hear that song and you think, oh, I'm going to go check out this Megadeth record, that's a very misleading song because the rest of the record is really not that anthemic or, or catchy yeah, or, yeah. or you know what I'm saying. Especially like, for a young listener like, like I was. Especially for young listeners. It was difficult for me. You know, I was quite young. So this record I've mentioned before was a hard record. It's to the point, it to the point that it's been stuff I've been discovering also doing it now. Because it was mm -hmm. so daunting at that age, and then you know I was on to death metal when it wasn't. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, I mean that uh, could be an early bit of um, uh, summary as well on the record that it's been really cool to go back to it now, but also a bit exhausting still. So I'm also kind of happy we're done with it. <laughs> you know, I like the record. Yeah, I mean, but well, it's a lot like everything else, now. I mean, we, a lot we've, we've been we've been talking about it for. You know, well over a month an now. Adequate amount, so. An adequate amount of hours, I would say, you know, it needs a few yeah. hours to, to do. We've done our time. It's time to move on. And I, th I feel like we did a good job covering the record and we did it justice. And hopefully everyone uh, enjoyed listening to it as well. But it's time to move on. And uh, the next phase of the So Far, So Pod, So What journey uh, will begin from here after this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We got a new concept again. I like that we started that from the get-go, that there's no there's no top cap to concepts on the, on the show. And I, I think it's yeah. because both of you and me, we like the idea of throwing a concept in there. Uh, at least we throw them in there. So, Well, there's, well, we like different podcasts and we like different ideas. So I feel like the mo like we're going to kind of like a buffet. We're going to take a little bit of everything off of the line. Yeah. You know? I mean, primarily you, of course, planning it. But everyone else I talked to, like George Silano and Rai... For example, they were also like, "Don't do everything. <laughs> Don't do a full covering one." I mean, you could. I'd listen, well, but uh, I mean, I said before on my other show, we were talking about, you know, imposter syndrome and name three bands, name name three songs, name five songs, that kind of thing, which has never faced mm -hmm. me. And I, I I said in that one, I said an example that I run half of this podcast. I haven't heard every Megadeth song yet, and I don't I don't mind, you know, but that also makes it kind of you know a sound option to 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 pick a little bit and not do everything i have i haven't heard every megadeth song you haven't and hmm. and so but i mean like i i think that because i mean i listen to the know, worst maiden songs 20 times yeah <laughs> sometimes right. for pleasure because i'm sick i'm a sicko i got a problem you got a maiden problem. Well, that's how it is. Yeah. I think you have, as long as you, I mean, I think you do need to have a certain level of knowledge in order to responsibly or, or faithfully do a show like this. Yeah. And I think beyond that, I feel like that is maybe a driving factor to pursue the show yeah, because you don't know everything, you know, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not looking forward to having to, 
I mean, I don't really know what our level of involvement is going to be for like a record like Super Collider, but I mean, we're going to have to probably address it. I mean, at I, some I have point a in, hunch. In some way, I have a hunch, you know? a brooding suspicion, a hunch that Super Collider is going to be featured on this show. But I don't. I know it's not going to. It's not going to be featured heavily air. like this. It's uh, not going to uh, get uh, P cells level of love. No, no, no. Uh, but I mean, I've I've heard only maybe two or three or four songs off of Super Collider, and that was enough to mm. tell me that this is a record I need to maybe take a pass on. But eventually, I'm going to have to hear the rest of those songs. I heard so it once. that's kind of part of the journey. Every song once on that one. Yeah, and then I think thirteen. I didn't bother even listening to half of the record. I think I listened to. One song, uh, hated it, <laughs> and I just so, avoided that record. And I hated the title; it's a fucking generic shit title as well. <laughs> like, it's it annoys me so well, much. I got lazy. <laughs> I want to punch it. <laughs> you know that kind of. The only thing lazier than that album title is the basically the track list that they used for the record, which is basically old demos, unused demos, unused riffs, unfinished songs that they just need. I think to. Contra- complete their contractual obligation to Roadrunner Records. Is it's that the one with shit. Kingmaker or is that Super Collider? I think Kingmaker is Super Collider. Because that was a debacle, right, with uh, Elefson, which has there has been many new ones <laughs> arising lately. I think, what, what did you post? Shitslinging contest. No, shitslinging uh, phase has begun or something like that. Well, yeah, because now they're... Yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to... I mean, it's not, not embarrassing to... Heavily, but it's, it's not... It is embarrassing, it's, isn't it? A little, it's, it's embarrassing. These are fucking, these are grown-ups, man. Oh. You know, like what the fuck? It's, I mean, it's not, it's not Motley Crue level embarrassing oh, currently. That's right. But, that's the recent one. But that's, but it's still embarrassing. You know, it's just like grow the fuck up, dudes. I mean, there's nothing's more embarrassing than watching millionaires argue over millions of dollars. Yeah, you know? it's actually less embarrassing watching Lars in some kind of monster because he's at least just being a guy. You know, he's just Lars disappointed is, with, is, with his friends and disappointed with himself. He's not like, uh, you know, there's no, not really business emotions there. It's just like very, you know, <laughs> everyone knows fucking left the band, of course, you know. And also when he's just staring James in the face, closer and closer, and like, fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, he could be Here's asking about Lars. Him. Lars is I a mastermind, thing- you know, I have no clue. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how it is over there, but I feel like a lot of people over here don't understand Lars or they don't maybe, they maybe misunderstand him is because he's, he's not, he's not American, you know? Mm. Yeah. He's been living here for 40 years, but like, he's not American. Like his sensibilities are totally different from what would be a, a cliche or a standard American mindset. You want to know a funny and thing? So, like is <laughs> on that very topic, a fun thing is that the Danish mindset is very foreign for Swedes. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> because it's just you know. So, well, I mean, I, I'm not. I would know, never ever so be fucking, so. They're just like assholes, but you like them, you know. So <laughs> I would Swedes never be so American. Worst. Like Swedes are nice, but you don't like them, you know. I mean, of course you I, like Swedes, but yeah, but uh, but I'm talking about the bad apple of the Danes would be someone that you kind of want to like him or her, but mm-hmm. it's an asshole. And the the bad right. apple of a Swede would be someone that is acting very nice but you, you kind of want to hate them because they annoy you like they're like a big brother kind of you know all, all well and good always on time it annoys the shit out of you so the danes are kind of like an opposite version of us and lars is super dane like everything about him like screams a Dan- danish little you know rich kid as well you know? <laughs> well he was well yeah he, he definitely was but 
to me, like, I mean, I would never be so cliche American to just lump all of Europe together as one country and one mindset. Yeah, so, of course, there would be a, a difference yeah, between the Danes and the Swedes. Yeah, but, but I mean, like, granted, we are neighbor yeah. countries. We have similar right. flags. We are we have been part of the same country. So it is a bit rare how different we are because the Norwegians and us pretty similar. Not mm-hmm. that different. Of course, Finns right. are always Finns. You know, we're a different bunch altogether. Like, it's not even the same language <laughs> tree. <laughs> It's a different tree. It's not a different branch. It's a different tree. Different tree entirely. Something happened there. But that's the thing, though. Like, I I feel like for all the shit Lars gets, he would be also the one. Like, I remember, like, he's still the one who's probably very rooted in, in, (laughs) he's still probably the most rooted in the roots of that band. And I remember, there was a time yeah, he's my favorite member, he, you know, and I saw recently yeah. Aaron Atkins, friend of the show, good friend of you, his favorite oh, yeah, member as well. He keep like, yeah. me and him, we have these things that uh, connect us in ways uh, that um, even you and me couldn't. <laughs> well, I yeah. guess Lars is a way we could. And there's been more defense of Lars, you know, over the years. First one that defended him, and then I'll let you continue that point. But the first one that defended him for me was Morgan from Nagelfar. You, you know that band? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Nagelfar? Nagelfar, probably for you. And uh, Yeah, I was yeah. going to say that'd be, Nagel, that'd be Nagelfar for me. Yeah, Nagelfar, yeah. and uh, he was bass player <laughs> in that band. And he was also the drummer in Hate Ammo, which was Mesrov then, kind of. You know, he was Ronnie's band then. That was the guys that were doing Take No Prisoners. Not Mesro, okay. but it was Ronnie. Just to right. correct a tiny little bit of a... Uh, false saying, but uh, anyway, I talked to them, of course, about like the usual, the huge Sepultura, Metallica, uh, Maiden, Megadeth, and we got we get on to Lars Ulrich as you do, and the first thing he says is like he's just staring me in the face, like the best drummer in the world, and I've I've just been watching him rip out songs, you know, Take No Prisoners, uh, we jammed, I, I I didn't jam that, but I jammed uh, what 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 did we do, like uh, Symphony of Destruction, we did, and we did. Uh, the symptom of the universe as well. Those two are hard to say in sequence. <laughs> anyway, we did symptom, all those. Symphony, yeah. He's, he's a yeah. great drummer. And then he's just claiming Lars is the best drummer in the world. And I don't know how to react. I'm around, I guess, nineteen twenty at the time. And that was the first of, of many. And now I'm one of those guys. So I even like, I was at the gym the other week. Some kids were talking shit about Lars in the dressing room. I turned to them and like, you guys try and play on those stages. <laughs> I normally never do anything like that, but I felt like I gotta educate these kids, you know. You gotta educate. Yeah, I mean, and then I start name dropping shit about Slayer to to prove to them that I know Slayer well too. It's not that I'm right. uh, like oblivious to Slayer because uh, they had Slayer T-shirts. Anyway, that was a long little detour. You were onto something. Oh yeah, well I was gonna say my I have a similar story like that uh, with the the drummer that I had played a show maybe. I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, and was opening for a band, a technical brutal death metal band over here called Unmerciful. And on that tour, the the person that was doing session drums for them on that tour was John Longstreth, who was uh, who was in Origin. Oh yeah, Origin. Also tech. He was all tech tech stuff. Yep. Yes, but he was also before that he was in. Um, kind of, I'm not really sure, maybe Black Thrash Death Band Angel Corpse. And um, they're 
If you never heard them, they're very much like Altars of Madness era Morbid uh, Angel. But not like, my favorite he, era of Morbid Angel, but uh, it's, oh, a good it's, a one. Cool, it's a cool style. Though. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool style. Yeah. yeah. And he was, I made, this is right after Hardwired came on. And while well, they were loading stuff in and he was kind of, we were kind of, everyone was kind of, the bands were loading everything in. I made. Someone just, was watching it on their phone and someone else was commenting or, you know. No, it was just on like the PA, okay, the, you okay. know, the sound guy was playing it as the bands were loading in. And I, and I just kind of made some snarky comment about Lars. Snark, snarky comment, but it was a comment that I, I didn't really fully mean. I was just making it because like I was talking to well, some guy who obviously, well, you know, it's it it part yeah. of the canon. <laughs> I just made, I just made a joke because I was talking to, to this drummer who is tremendous and he's, you know, a technically speaking 15 times the drummer yeah, i mean to explain, to explain in a non-theoretical way he's the kind of that kind of drums yeah oh the gravity blasting all that stuff all the way through pretty yes. much too controlled almost yes but yeah we can't get in on a discussion about tech death because i'm right. very tempted <laughs> it's a very interesting topic <laughs> but we haven't even yeah. begun on topic yet and that's we'll do that yeah. sometime because uh, i'd like to yes. talk about tech death with you because that's a that's a can of worms to open up. We will. Uh, but basically, I made just some kind of jokey comment about, oh, I, I don't even remember what I said. I'd be like, oh, I wonder if he'll be able to pull off that double bass live. Well, that's a pretty fair thing to say, to be honest. Yeah. I, but it, it might have been something else, too. But he kind of <laughs> he kind of stopped and corrected me. And he was like, actually, Lars is, he's maybe the best drummer in metal history. And he like he just he then just kind of, broke down like from a drummer's perspective like 10 different reasons and i was just like immediately regretting even saying anything because i was like i'd fucking <laughs> just just loading in my gear man yesterday in a <laughs> band meeting i claimed that lars is an actual living genius <laughs> you know it's just uh, i don't know I th he's kind of a genius in some weird way he i don't even think it's a weird way that band that band wouldn't be what they are today without him. He's, he's, I mean, you could think of other drummers playing for Metallica, but like, there's just something about the way he does things within yeah. the, the parameters of that band. And he's, he's, he lacks the traditional technique that, most of us metal dudes would ever consider consider would be required to play drums in a metal band. Especially drummers in metal are generally yeah. rather, uh, what's the word, when you're like a military man and you go by the book, uh, regimental? Uh, regimented, yes. Regimental with yeah. the rudiments. Yeah, you know, yeah <laughs> that's right. They tend to be. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a bit, um, it's a bit rare in this genre. To, yeah. to not be. But he had to he had to work around the lack of Well he didn't have to, but he chose to. <laughs> you know? Well, but that's the thing though. I, I, mean, I think it's not he, like he's he got to a point. He he got to a point where I don't think he could progress any further early and if and even if he could, I don't think he wanted to. I think it's mostly that that he didn't care to. But that's also the most right. important bit of getting somewhere, of course. So But also like that's the thing. Like if you don't have the he might have had the ability to, but if you don't have the interest or care for it, it doesn't even matter. Then you're not going to be able. Yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Like, that kind of like, overrules all ability. Yeah, that's the like like with the like with sweeps, like with sweeping. Yeah, yeah. Fuck I, sweeps. I I, <laughs> I, I, I get <laughs> I get the technique 
involved. I've been playing guitar long enough to understand the technique of how it works and and what I have to do. I don't understand it, Greg. I don't get it still. I don't really understand it. That's like, is, is it a strum? No, it's not quite a strum. Okay, so it's a strum, is, but you go along like a, and you mute every string as you strum. Is that it? That that's, is that's that part of the reason it? why I didn't really have any interest in it because it's almost like I it, almost don't understand it. it. Sounds pretty good. There's certain players who who do it great, and there's other players that it just sounds like they're just puking up notes. The bunt, the one, and then that's the thing. I didn't have the didn't it didn't it wasn't a technique that interested me enough to ever want to put the time in to be one of those players that could do it in an effective way. Like you got Ingve, who's a, you know who's fucking awesome, but he's a know, lot more than like, technique. He's a killer tone, you know. So he's not really oh, a no, technique guy in my head. In my head, he's more of a sing singing songs with a strat guy, uh, even though it's fast songs, you know? right? And uh, but for right. me, I but never I, practiced technique until no, I, last year. That's when I started practicing technique, and I still hate it, but I had to, you know, uh, yeah. for the first time. And I, I've I've done stuff that was easy for me because I'm. Uh, especially then, I just wanted to get to to the finished song or the finished solo. I didn't want to you know, spend ages experimenting with technique. So it's like, okay, tapping, I'm pretty good at yes. naturally. So I'll tap. Yes. And, and pinch harmonics came to me very easily. And they sound pretty cool if you do them a little bit more seldom than perhaps um, Zach Wilde. But you can do them like uh, as much as, uh, what's his face? Sykes, great guitarist. But he does them a lot. Right. But not over top because they're pretty cool you know you get a lot of overtones and stuff it's a, so, oh, yeah. so that's like that's um, what's the word money for nothing and chicks for free compared to sweeps yes well also those squeals they're 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 an emphasis on one note yeah and you, you might know, do a, them on a, a sweep is on a, a sweep half is bend, an emphasis on you know a half uh, yeah. a half uh, or a semitone bend on the g string and do one of those you get a lot of singing Right, but that's the thing, though. Well, the the, the sweeping, the, the the thing that got sweeping me, sounds sweeping. nerdy. That's what it sounds it's like, just, and I like it. I have to admit, I like the nerdy sound of it. But it's like, what? What do? What is it even? That's the thing. To me, to me, it's wasted. Wasted. Uh, I don't want to. Maybe wasted isn't the right word, but for lack of a better word, I use wasted. It's wasted notes because. So many of the notes involved in it are muted, or they're just basically rhythm, rhythmic time. Sounds fast. That's the point, I guess. Yeah, it sounds fast, and really, it's it's almost like the notes are so are are picked so fast and so muted that there's almost really no um real clear definition. Not much of music notes. in there, and most of those shredder yeah. type guys, we know them. They've been around us. They're, they're not mm. as into writing, so they just do the minor arpeggio all the time. And that's like something yeah. everyone can spot a mile away. If you want to do something interesting with sweeps, you, you can't just do the minor arpeggios. You know, just... Everyone, I, I mean, every, man, I shouldn't say this, I guess, but like everyone I know, I shouldn't say everyone I know in, in my area that is really proficient at sweeps, they, they're lacking something that to me is more important to what they are doing like everyone i know you're talking about rock and roll i think basically i guess i'm I'm talking about really just yeah well i shouldn't say that because i think guys like guys like steve vai i mean he he doesn't lack that 
No, no, but he's also not get... in your vicinity, I guess. That's also true. <laughs> That's true too. That's true too. But like uh, anyone great. I know who could really nail sweeps, they 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 you lack the ability to. They put so much time into that that they maybe uh, com- compositionally or even just kind of riff wise, they're they're lacking that. And I think that's all just a matter of approach and, and what's important to you. To me, it was more important to be better at writing riffs and songs. Yeah, and then you have the reluctant so shredder, pro- Marty Friedman. Exactly. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, reluctant he, shredder, in, that's that's pretty cool. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty cool. It's not like exactly. only attitude. You could think of it as you know, just attitude, just a, like trying to downplay uh, mm-hmm. his skill but it's not that you know, it's, it's, it's definitely more of a rock and roll heart type thing you know Marty Freeman is he's like you know like if you have like a, if you have all these tools you know like that you have like a toolbox and you have all these tools you never you never have to use all of those tools at the same time well I had them. to before because I had two tools <laughs> but, you know, but if <laughs> let's say you got at least eight yeah then you don't have to Right. I'm talking about so, soloing, yeah. <laughs> like a very that's, lazy soloist. That's great. Well, if presume, presuming if you have more than two tools. Two tools. I had two blues licks, I realized. Like, uh, fuck, you I suck never at have blues. To... You know, I realized in, in adult age, I've gone around imagining I know blues because I know a bit of metal. I suck at blues. That was a weird day. Two licks. I... Now I got like four, four licks. I mean, it takes time to yeah, really I... master a blues lick, so it sounds cool. I feel you on that. Yeah. Well, you know, baby steps. Also, I will yeah, I will continue course. the talk on sweep picking when we pick up the talk on tech death because that all comes right in there. Yes. Yeah, it's a big it's a big thing. Um, yes, we could segue to Megadeth by saying that. You know, was it like that in the in the US growing up in the nineties that uh, guitar solos were terribly out of fashion because in Sweden they were so out of oh fashion. But I think God, America is kind were... of the guitar solo nation of the world. So maybe no, they, they were didn't definitely, go as out of fashion, or did they? They were out of fashion, depending on who was doing them. Like if you were, if you were Jerry Cantrell, it was fashionable. If you were Kim Thale, it was fashionable. But if you were approaching it from any sort of perspective, like the Pearl Jam dudes, like uh, Mike McCready, like he did, he did guitar solos. He just, he just ripped off Ace Frehley solos. Oh, and that's the, a pretty and good one to Pearl rip off stuff. Though. Yeah, of course. It four was blues really licks. not that's so four much. Licks. <laughs> yeah it pretty much is it appeared it appeared to be out of fashion but it was more just the way it had been presented in the prior decade that was out of fashion out of fashion the per because certain people could do it and it was acceptable you know the people that i mentioned basically if you weren't as long as you didn't have like you know as long as you weren't wearing like leather or had like a you know, a pink Ibanez or whatever or something like that. Like it, de- like it definitely wouldn't have been fashionable for, well, I shouldn't say that because Megadeth was pretty big in that era too. So Megadeth I would say unless you were, that, you if know. you were, if you were in Megadeth or Metallica or if you were Zach Wild from the metal perspective of things, like it was like you got the pass mm. or, or obviously Van Eddie Van Halen too, but Besides that, you had to basically be in a cool band and do it in a way that wasn't presented like it was in the 80s in order to just have people be like, yeah, that's awesome. Probably similar here, but I think Swedes tend to be a little bit more anxious about trends 
for some reason, especially in music, we 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 really want to be like on the on the top of those. So I think a lot of bands really pulled back the guitar solos to a complete nil. And if you did one, it was kind of like Alex here leading to ride shoes straight. <laughs> Which was okay. And that's kind of what you're saying. Right. Like you could do yeah. a blues solo because that was kind of, that's old, old CN cool. That's not, uh, that's no spandex yeah. right there. So, I mean, I was raised with the, with the notion from every, from, from many sides, the notion that guitar solos are absolute rank, you know, it's, it's, it's the worst in, in music. Well, you guys are from the, from, well, you're from the country where, I mean, it was really just like the, it was the, so like uncool best, when I was growing up. The best up. dudes, like you including mean, you're, Van Halen, you're from people badmouth from the, the place Van of, Halen as I was growing up. Yeah. That's weird. You know, it took ages for me to realize the, how much they they kill at this. You know, but like you're from the place of dudes like Ingve and John no, Norum, no, 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 and like you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like. That, but you no, know, there was always to that point. There was always a click, right? Christian Niemann, my buddy, right. often mentioned. Uh, he, of course, was in his shred zone with the shrapnel records you know those those type deals the entire 90s but uh, that was rebel he was a rebel kind of you know because the oh, the main line was that guitar leads are super corny and i remember listening to this song that we're going to do today all the little fills and stuff how they were hard mm -hmm. for me to stomach because i felt that it was so uncool you know mm -hmm. which is uh, it's ridiculous you know it's of, of course you can't put little fills <laughs> you know, like it's it's fun, but uh, you know, it was it was a sensitive thing when I was growing up. Like guitar solos were not cool. It's kind of funny. It's kind of silly to think about that it was like that at one point, and I'm and I'm glad that you know we got past that point because really, for a while, it was a decade of kind of the shittier you were, the better. Yeah, Sh know? shitty, Which is like, feeling shitty, shitty attitude. Shitty, shitty technique, shitty clothes, yeah. everything. But that's the thing, though. Obviously, that's but that's the thing, though. Like, I, I never, I don't know if I ever really fully thought that through until just now. We talked about it, but it really was. I mean, it was a, it was a logic for posers because, like, it was something that was totally anathema to what was cool in America, unless you were cool in America, which is, which is. It's a poser logic right there. Yep. Like, yo, guitar solos, they're fucking lame. Um, unless you're unless Jerry you're Cantrell, cool. <laughs> unless you're Kim Thale, you know, unless you're Mike McCready. Gotta give it to Cantrell, though. I gotta give it to him for being able to sneak in so much proper, nice licks. Metal? Uh, metal, you know. I always mention them bones when it goes to... That's not... Alex here leading to Rachel straight. That's way past that. But I mean, he, he got a pass, I guess, with that kind of country flavor thing. Like that's rootsy. Yeah. Everything in the nineties had to be either shitty or rootsy. <laughs> you know, if it was rootsy, it was okay too. Like you right, know, the old true. blues uh, playing like uh, Robert mm -hmm. Johnson. Then it's cool. But as, as you know, basically, it couldn't be eighties. And I get that. Right. I get that. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't really have to endure the eighties. For me, they're a magical time in which I existed. But I, uh, I mean hardly remember existing go back to right. 1986 it's a magical time it's my favorite decade for many reasons and one of them is that it was provokingly distasteful at many times you know i like that about the 80s like too much of it peroxide and uh, mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, well, you know that you you like eighty Peroc- more peroxide, than peroxide, peroxide and neon. You like your glam, yeah. so I mean, yeah. If that's the eighties genre, prime. That's the one eighties genre, isn't it? Like uh, glam rock, sleazy glam rock, not glam sleazy. rock like uh, David Bowie, the sleazy one. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing, though. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of that stuff had the 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 best guitar stuff oh and it's pretty stuff. groovy I realized in latter years good grooves the ACDC grooves you know the the purple the purple was a big uh, I realized also very late big uh, pre sleaze band in a way or glam pre glam band like well I think that's more of like that that's just a, a black more like that's the thing though like the, the the best guitarists that came out of that scene they were the ones who were inspired by basically Blackmore Michael Schenker and Eddie Van Halen, yeah. and they kind of well, that's and that's the, why like that's the best guitarist, guitarist so like <laughs> good choices yes. there. There's only Gary Moore yeah. missing, and then you got the best, <laughs> right? And th- that's why guys like Warren Demar, like that that old rat stuff, man. It, it's a shame those guys just basically those guys got hated because they look like boobs, <laughs> like like the, the the first three rat records and the EP, like it's crunchy, crunchy. You know, it is, it's metal, but just, it is literally, it, to me, it's, it's peak hair metal because it is glammy, heavy metal. And the guitar playing is fucking awesome. And obviously, uh, the George Lynch docking stuff is awesome too. The best stuff in that era is, is still, was the best stuff then. And it's still the best stuff today, but and it was also If you listen carefully now, Greg, you can of. still hear the docking cop howling in the wind outside. <laughs> I could still in hear Buffalo. the docking cop. I could still. I hope he's still out there, doing there's, good. There's a, fighting the good there's fight. An old, <laughs> there's an old saying here in Buffalo that if every time you listen to Tooth and Nail, docking cop gets to pull someone over and beat him up. <laughs> well, uh, no, that's not that's that's not a saying in Buffalo. That's not a saying. But also, in that glam, I underestimated the the rhythm. It's often like pretty, you know, that kind of boogie woogie on crack, like. Mm-hmm. But heavier, and and, right. and that's cool. I like that. And I, I, yeah. I definitely because of when I grew up, I, I kind of you know just thought it was stiff and not cool. Not I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool music. There's a lot of fifties in there and that kind of stuff. You mm-hmm. know, this kind of how, how the the decades shift and jump, right? It's like no one has done the fifties thing for a bit. So let's let's do a bit of that, you know, and, and but make it heavier. It's right. it's a very legit genre. I agree. It took me a while to realize. Uh, and there's a little bit of it in in, in this. It took a lot of people. It took a lot of people to realize. There's hints of it in this song. And I sampled before on on our show because uh, I got it wrong, right, with um, the producers who who made that effective pause. Ba ba da ba 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 da. But that's been rectified. It was, it was Paul Laney, the remix. Yeah, yeah, I put that, that in the show. So yeah. that's been rectified. Yes, you did correct that. But yeah. uh, I just mentioned now because he mentioned that they felt it gave the song radio help. I agree. Uh, so he was mindful of that with this song, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, uh, like your comment on, it's kind of interesting how you're mindful of that on one single song, and not at all on the other songs. Not Entire at all rest on of the endings. record, you don't care about yeah. radio help whatsoever. Not even a little bit. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Like, why not have a hit? <laughs> let's have a hit. Why not? Let's, why not? Let's put I a hit on this record. He was, <laughs> he was so he was so driven, yeah. you know to. To, to play catch up from Metallica, so as a kid, I love bass intros. So I'm already sold, you know, like two seconds in, 
this fucking rocks. Because I had like, it was those heroic melodies from the video games, and then it was like uh, the bass lines from MC Hammer and stuff. You know, that was sampled from 70s funk and things like that. So with Megadeth, you get both. Megadeth, you get both. You get like that's why I've claimed many times, many a time before that it's my second favorite band ever. <laughs> you know, because it's all it's all the stuff I like in a weird package with the weird uncle at the helm. You know, and, and this song kind of, I guess, was in a way how I discovered that. Even the way it starts, like he uh, starts with God, right? What do you mean? Uh, believe in God? Yeah, it starts yeah. with that. And yeah. and as Swedish kids, you thought he would say something like, "What do you mean I don't believe in God? I never even fucking considered it." Hail Satan! Fuck you! So we were really we were really surprised hearing him say, "Talk to him every day." Like, oh, okay, yeah. that's unexpected and cool. We thought that was cool. We thought that was a little bit funny, a little bit funky, weird, but also a bit cool. Like uh, for us, it was like a red herring, you know, a setup. But the payoff wasn't what we expected. He's, right. he's kind of saying that he's, he's a God-fearing man, is he? There's The thing about that song is that it's, there is, it's hooks stacked on, stacked on top of hooks. The thing, I mean, the, the bass line is a hook. I mean, it's just hooks built on top of hooks. And even the, the refrain of, what do you mean? That's a hook. Mm, yeah, it yeah. opens it's every like line. What do you mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, also call and response of like uh, uh, reciting a question, reciting his answer. Okay. Yeah. It's super easy to to mm-hmm. latch onto. Mustaine, you could say had a had a um, he had a better grasp of I think writing a. Uh, there's this know. word I, I, I re- rare this in English but I figured it is this word in English too it's a Greek word pedagogy pedagogy I don't know how you would pronounce that because I never hear Americans or Brits say it but it means the art of teaching proper and I would say this song is is a, 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 like a, a perfect gateway thrash song like it's a, it's a pedagogical which is probably not a word mm-hmm. song uh, because it's, it's you know it's so easy to get into it's almost like you know Follow me. You'll know the entire, you know, you'll know how to multiply by nine. If you follow these easy steps, this song is like that. You know, it's, it's super uh, inviting, I think. In, in, right. in this genre, in this year, nothing was really, you know. Battery is a hit, but it's a hard hit, right? It hits you hard in the face. The rhythms are weird. It's about beating people to pulps. <laughs> That's a hit because it, it brought us to them. Peace sells. They really sold themselves to everyone because like, I think Mustaine had a better idea of how to write a, a quote-unquote pop hook. He had a better grasp of that than I think Metallica, like before Metallica did. While on the topic, like, let's see how many streams it has on Spotify. You're not a Spotify user, so it won't really make sense to you, I guess, in, as a measure. But I'll I'll pull out like Paranoid or something, and then for a cross reference. Uh, I've never looked at this. Okay, so Wake Up Dead's got 30 million. Uh, P-Cell's got 25 million. It's not that much. Like, uh, uh, Paranoid is a billion, I think, about thereabouts. Uh, 
Wow. Uh, Master <laughs> Puppets is closing up to a billion now as well. So 25 mil is good, but it's not uh, like a hit of the ages. It's still on that uh, gas station CD, though. <laughs> Absolutely is. And uh, I mean, Absolutely is. It was in Grand Theft Auto. I remember that. It's a huge that song, a though. Deal. And I mean, 86 as well. Yeah. Granted, Master Puppets has had that kind of life after life after life. So that is now reaching for a billion, which is pretty insane for a song like that. It, I mean, it's right. less whalers hooky than PSLs, really. Uh, but yeah. it has become like uh, you argued it, it now has a radio value and it, it does but looking at it only as what it is and not in any context other than musical master puppets is not a radio song it's not no not even close not even and this close. is big time. it's almost it's like well, it's not even almost it's, it's, it's funk it's funk, you know. A little bit funk, uh, a little bit disco-ish yeah. there, and the, I mean, just a very cool line. I still like the bass lines, not as much as I did as a kid, because then it was like instant sell. It worked every time. Running free, it was like, yeah, I mean, boom, boop, doop, 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 boop, doop. <laughs> I was, it was, it wasn't hard to win me over with a bass intro, right? And th- and this was one. This is an iconic bass intro, top five in 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 hard rock, I would say. I would agree. I think it was something also that I liked that you like put the bass player in the center of stage for a bit there, you know. And maybe also an effect of what we talked about just now, how guitar solos were out of fashion. Then bass became even slightly cooler as an option. I almost began playing bass. I'm glad I picked guitar though, but <laughs> I did that first for songwriting. It looked like it was easier to write songs on those. Funny thing, that is why Alex Webster of Cannibal Corpse started playing bass instead of guitar. If you, in if you know anything about Alex, I know Webster, he writes a, a lot of the player. stuff. Almost, and he's very technical oh, yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, a maiden guy like us. He's one of the reasons that bass players after him could no longer pick up a bass for the same reason. <laughs> Fast stuff, but not not yeah. very yeah. slick or anything. He's more. He's still a death metal guy. What I hear, but he's a. Yeah. Yeah, a death metal bassist of his own, I guess you could say. You know, a death, me- death metal Steve Harris, maybe. You know, so he's not super. He's, he's not super slick. It, it's it's still quite rough, but it's very fast and cool. You know, it's and he's also compositionally dominant. Yep. In the band. Yeah. So yeah, that's always a fun thing, right? You, I kind of like yeah. that. You know, when you we find a new band that you like, and then you figure out, oh, the bass player writes the songs. That's kind of a plus, I think. Yeah, it's weird to have so many influential guitarists actually be bass players. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Phil Lynott, Lemmy, Steve Harris, mm-hmm. um, someone more important must be, right? Uh, uh, maybe Geddy Lee. Geddy Lee, that's true. But, but when they when they also sing, it's a bit different, I guess. It's When it's hardcore, just the bass yeah. player, and he's not using a guitar or piano when he's writing, then it's the full-on, you know, like... Right. I think in Faith No More, I think he wrote a bit of stuff as well. Uh, but Billy really Gould, think so. Uh, yeah, sure. probably did. Yeah, I think he was. He was also the original bass player in Brujeria, mm. that uh, that death metal band too. So the, the bass player at hand now is just the bass player of Kings of Fresh. <laughs> Who is that? The 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 Oh yeah, but I mean, famously, also he didn't write that line. It was it was written by no, Dave didn't. and Dave. I mean, felt he, played, he, played he played it. He played it. He played it. He played it. I, I don't think honestly he Ellison's tone and his pick style playing. I mean, listen to how he played. I mean, it's so 
it's so oh, well it played. Great. It's it so great. It's so clean. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that Mustaine would have been able to play it as well on the guitar, sure, but not on the bass, no. I don't think on the bass, no. I don't think he would have been able to play no, it as well. I don't well. think so. I mean, it would have been okay. But no, yeah, it would have been okay, but it would not be as not good as, as good, it no. was. Man, it's, it's, well, maybe it, when it's like an intro, an intro like that, when it's standalone, it's important, those little details, I guess, you know, so maybe it, the song could even have been less successful if you would have put on an okay bass line there. But, but that's right. also a famous thing about uh, Load and Reload Metallica. There's a lot of like bass-led songs. It surfaced over the years that all of those were written by James mm -hmm. in sessions with Lars. Because people are like, ah, Jason Newsted, come on, he did the best bass lines, Look, listen to these. Yeah. Come down. <laughs> <laughs> Back at that one again. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Not a great song. No. But anyway, all of those are written by James. And it's just, you know, it's a production move to put it on the bass. And that's kind of the case with, with yeah. Peace House as well. And it's a cool move. Yeah, I agree. It worked out for them as far as uh, promotional, too, because it, it was played on MTV multiple times a day for years, too. Yeah. So what do you think about the song? If we take away all I, the legendary status, we take away all the notoriety, and it's just uh, Greg listening to classic this track. It's classic. I, th I, don't, I don't know that if... Um, this this the album as a whole this is the to me this is the centerpiece of the album like, yeah i, I agree. mean the whole album is i mean even though in the track listing well i mean yeah it's basically in the middle of the track list for all intents and purposes but like it's the centerpiece of the album the whole album is basically kind of built around it to me and i think that the album is if you were to take that song like like for me personally i, I don't know if, i don't I, I don't think if you took I ain't superstitious off the record. It wouldn't bother me. But I think if you took Peace Cells off the record, like there would be a ginormous hole in this album. You know? I often talk about that with trackless functions of songs. I think it was a, in a conversation with George Silano on Home Made Nate to Z then that we talked about that. And it was about, you know, you know, every listener knows that I've, I've been enjoying like trying to, you know, get the single vinyl format and all that. Right. Uh, and then and then he was like, yeah, but uh, maybe you should just edit yourself already in writing. And I, uh, I would claim that it's better to, instead of picking your seven or eight best songs, you think about the functions, like it's a sports team or something. So you can't just take the seven best if they're all openers, for example. Well, you could. Some albums are like all openers. That's a that's a, a case that happens sometimes. But you know what I mean, right? You couldn't have all epic closers. You couldn't have all uh, ballads or all uh, simple rockers. Uh, they have functions, right? right? And this song has the most important function on this record, for sure. Like to echo what you said, pretty much. Like uh, it's very sorely needed on this record for it to be as good as it is. 
because it contrasts everything else we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe except the cover, but the cover is just the cover. It's, it's there, you know. <laughs> it's there. We'll get to that when we summarize the album. Because yeah. I made my mind up now. <laughs> but that's for later. Okay. Uh, but as far as anal- analyzing this song, uh, I, I thought we wouldn't do it as hardcore as we've done the others because it's pretty surface. It's been analyzed. Face. It's so popular it's already. It's pretty face value, most of it. You don't need to listen to ISO yeah. tracks because it's so. Um, smartly arranged so you hear everything you hear the drums you hear the bass listen to the song you pretty much hear the iso tracks you know at, all at once the song has has a lot of breath to it yep there's a, there's a lot of breathability it's that pedagogy thing you know it's, which is a word that it's not flowing off my tongue nicely but let's just say like uh it's a the song guides you very thoroughly ushers you very mm-hmm. thoroughly through itself it's n- not hard not a hard listen is maybe one of the most easy listens in in '86 uh, American metal whatsoever, you know. Absolutely, even especially in the thrash genre. Yeah, exactly. You with know? the year of thrash yeah. and how all the bands broke bigger, yeah. uh, this is the one song that has like a, a classic rock radio quality right off the bat. I would say. Mm-hmm. Not so sure about Anthrax though, because I'm part of that group that is that never really cared about Anthrax. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're I pretty good. I don't think. I don't think I don't think Anthrax ever had that. To be fair, no one, um, none of those bands, the big four, had a song like Peace Cells in that era. Closest I can think of is like Motor Breath, which is not that close. No, no, that would be, yeah. Something I I, I think it's... Seek and Destroy, perhaps, but that's elongated and it's not as... That's true, too. That's true, too. Yeah, Yeah, they might be the closest thing, but I still think Peace Cells is ahead of it by a mile. Yeah. No, it's a cool track, and what we can talk about a little bit more than than like nerd on guitars because we've done that a lot as well in songs where it's more fitting to do that, right? <laughs> just a little bit, <laughs> just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, Punt helped us yeah. along the way too. There, <laughs> the, of course. It was funny. I recorded another episode the other day, and, and someone said like, "I'm not gonna go as far as to start, start talking about how they angle their pick." And I had to tell them like, "I recorded an episode yesterday. We talked about how he angles the pick. <laughs> it's important." That's that's how it happens. Yeah, that's how it happens. But anyway, the lyrics in the song I haven't discussed much since first time listening to it with my buddy Chris, and we kind of we had fun with them, and they're a bit fun. They're a bit, it's a bit awkward, isn't it? In a nice way, it's a bit awkward because it's like, who talks it's very like youthful? This? It's very youthful. It's very it's very much a mentality of I'm learning the ways of the world. Yeah. Or at the very least, the ways of the country, you know? I'd like you to weigh on in on this, but there's no irony or sarcasm in this, I feel. I feel it's just, he's serious. Like, what do you think, I'm broke, huh? No, it's he's t- actually like, don't call me broke. Like, it's not uh, ironic or, or sarcastic, I don't think. I think that's one of the reasons why it's worked. I think that's one of the reasons why people have clung to it for so long. I think that's why it's kind of transcended as well, too. Because it, if there's believability to it, doesn't sound doesn't sound contrived it sounds like it almost sounds stream of consciousness stream of consciousness and kind of average joe in a way you know absolutely Uh, and i guess you know we've already discussed the title and we know what that means like dave's little backstory with that and i'm guessing the title is the entire meaning of the song and the rest is just added manuscript i think you know just a character that is that you find somehow close to this concept of this title. But I don't think there's a story in the lyrics at all. 
right? There's a story behind the title, no. and the, it, there, there it ends. That's the story, I think. Yeah, that's basically it. I think, and that's why I, I have I get the stream of consciousness vibe because yeah. there's really no, yeah. And of course, something he would reutilize later and make the new versions. Oh. Sure would. Here I come again. <laughs> you know, do it subdued this time. <laughs> but yes. you know, it, that's kind of a continuation of this in a way. Of course, is there a lot of spoken wordish stuff on "Killing Is My Business"? I try to recall, not as much, right? But on this record, it's all over the place. Like you got it in Conjuring. Yeah, the only, th- the only thing I can really think one. of on the first one, the only thing I can really think of is maybe um, looking down the cross. There's some talky stuff going on there, but yeah, except for that, not really much. Especially not compared to that. You know what we're talking about. What do you think about uh, Scandinavian melodic death metal bands when they start talking all the time in the nineties, like Heavenly Venomous Rapture? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I often dream of uh, huge numb buildings, <laughs> and always with that Gothenburgian accent <laughs> as well. That's is it cool or is it super corny? I can't tell. Um. Well, considering the best American bands did that shit too, apparently that I, I think it, I think it's almost. Oh, you mean uh, give me a break, feel, Dave? We all, <laughs> that's cool. That's we, much cooler. Yeah, that's much cooler. I think I think we felt like that the Swedes started talking to us at that point. <laughs> they were talking to us. What I liked about it, I must say, is that now we could incorporate this and we didn't have to learn singing in my band. That was useful. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I really can't add anything to that. That's really the best way to put it. That was useful. Very useful. <laughs> but but our, our singer was actually like a, half raised in, in, in the US. So we didn't get the heavenly venomous rapture, often dream of a huge numb building. <laughs> like it's so clear. <laughs> To hear on all those Gothenburg records, it's like absolute yeah. Gothenburg English, which is charming. I guess it is charming. I don't know. I'm too close to it, but it probably is. It's um, it's definitely um, I, th- I feel like the best examples of the Gothenburg English is the, those old In Flames albums, specifically. Yeah, yeah, that was um, well. It was it was nice camp, I guess. You know. I don't like that he switched the lyrics in Artifacts of the Black Rain from a lone silent warrior in a fantasy world. He switched it live <laughs> to a lone silent warrior in a fucked up world. That wasn't a cool move. Well, that's because that's because we got a hold of him and they just... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of American thing to do, really. Very <laughs> you know, Americanized. It, yeah. It's very like, Americanized. Fantasy, that's for dorks. This is a fucked up world. <laughs> We've had this conversation before. Europe was the first, uh, first Swedish giant to fall fall by the hands of the American uh, pop culture. But would not would not be the uh, the last Swedish uh, giant to topple over onto our shores. What is your quick view on, on the Europe discography? Because I'm not familiar with it. But what, what would you say? Like, are they, do you like Final Countdown, for example? I do like Final Countdown. It's, it's clearly a good record, but that's also an American. Like, they, the claws are in, right? It's Yeah, of course. Carrie... <laughs> I love I love hockey and the final countdown is basically a staple of you know hockey arenas over here in America. Um I, I'm not really too familiar with the Europe records after it. I'm only kind of familiar with well the only one I own is the final countdown and I've had and I have heard the two records before it, which are obviously um much more I guess orthodox heavy metal. More maiden so in there. Really, more really purple. Cool. They're very much like almost kinda of like purple and rainbow and they kinda of have that vibe to it. A little bit of maiden as well. So yeah. it's yeah, a little bit of Maiden. Yeah, absolutely. First one is is an excellent record, I think. 
they're they're cool records for sure, but you obviously could tell. I mean, that they had aspirations to uh, to be big, and uh, they were big that for they a didn't. little bit. That they know. didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a, I guess. The- I mean, and, and John John Norm. I mean, we mentioned him earlier. He's a tremendous guitarist, and you can always like he he kind of even on the final countdown, which is definitely a lot lighter of a record. There's moments where you, you could hear him trying to kind of pull it back a little bit. Yeah. He's still there. He's still there with an awesome lick or, or a heavier kind of riff. And, you know, he's really, he did, he he's did really that better than balance. the Inflames guys. The Infl- and they weren't even technically able, but they still like got caught red handed in shortening all the leads on Re- Re- Root Remain. It's like, that's a ha- half yeah. a lead. I can hear that's half a lead you put there, like, <laughs> in the title track. It's like, oh, that was it. You know, this is like, it should be a, at least eight bars, guys. Four bars. John, John Norum. <laughs> why? Was, why was even do that melody? It's like, yeah, we yes, want to have those fans exactly. too, so we do four bars yeah. for them. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a good record. That was a day of anxiety in my old in my old home in my parents' home for me. Well, it's different for us over here. That was a, that was the first record that probably a lot of people first latched onto over here. Yeah, they. It was the first record I ever heard from them, and that's mm-hmm. pro- and that ultimately that that took that prevented me from really getting into them further for years. Yeah, including like until now with uh, with, with like, Clayman. Yeah, like there's records I like I I only own two records for like the last twenty years. I only own Jester and uh, Horacle. Ah. And that's it. And then and I had heard Colony. Colony years is ago. the best, I think, for me. Honestly, I I think my favorites are, are Horacle and, and Clayman. And Clayman, Clayman is good. That was my entry point, and it's a fat sounding record. Sometimes it's a bit stupid, but it's okay. You know, it it's a record that going back for seconds on just to revisit it. The fact that there's moments where I'm kind of like, oh, that kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> You know, a lot of people I, took issue with the, guided by the pimple map. <laughs> I, <laughs> I kind of like that song, to be honest. It's, it's kind of first fun. time I heard that. <laughs> first time I heard that, I was like, oh no. But then the second time I heard it, I was like, oh no. And the third time I heard it, I was like, uh. and the fourth time I heard it, I was like, hmm. And the fifth time I heard it, I was like, Okay, this is actually pretty cool. It's like an ultra down-tuned uh, future reel by Maiden or something. I think the only, I think after now having sat with Clayman properly, the only thing that I can't really fully budge on is really the initial thing that caused me to dislike the record, and that's the, uh, from as the future repeats Is it the today, lyrics, that, or what is it? It's a pretty... No, it's a, it's not even the it's not the lyrics, it's the delivery. It's very kind of almost like American new metal in a way. Cause it's kind of got like a, almost like a rappy kind of vibe. Like he had a scent of Slipknot probably. He yeah, had smelled yeah, Slipknot. Probably, yeah. Like that smells like yeah. Well, no, I mean it's obvious at that point. I mean, they were although I think Reroot was probably the record that broke them bigger over here, you know, by that point just by friends I have that were already into the band. Like they were already, they had to have already had a sniff of American money by then. Like they were already, I think colony was the thing that maybe first kind of got them on our radar. Yeah. And I think Clayman was the thing that was, that really primed that pump, which was enabled to make, which was able to make reroute 
a more successful record. But I know a lot of people that love Clayman over here. Yeah, there are some really good bits on it. Like that opens the very record. Uh, the bullet ride intro riff that you said could could have been a hammerfall left over. Yeah, it sounds like a, a Jesper riff that he had for Hangover. But better, I would say. Like the Hammerfall's best riff if <laughs> for me, if it wasn't Hammerfall. It's an excellent riff. Yeah, it's a it's a great riff. builds it builds like fuck and then you got like swim my like hang on a second hang on a second hang on did you say did you say it builds like fuck yeah i did say that builds like fuck oh dude that's that's fucking awesome (laughs) i'm glad you enjoy it i love it my sloppiness of today comes to some entertainment i'm gonna write that down but it really does like fuck a lot of tension there Another Day in Quicksand is also a great song. I discovered it as a 13-year-old, and it was like right after Maiden, so that was a huge deal for me. Just the sound of it, you know, just the, the heaviness. I instantly tuned my Les Paul to C after that. Just bought some heavy-ass string gauge because it's like, I want that sound exactly. I'll tell you what, if I think that it's a pivotal record for them especially, and probably for the scene in general, because it's a heavy metal record. Like, the, I would probably say that's it's probably... They're kind of, well, they, they kind of had some thrasher stuff on reroute, but kind of piss thrash, I would say, you know, not yeah. <laughs> not good, like uh, transparent that tune. I think that that Clayman was probably their farewell to melodic death metal because to me it's almost more of like a, a regular heavy yeah. metal record. And we talked about how that happens, right, with extreme metal uh, dude arenas such as ourselves. That sooner or later you're just like, oh, I want to do that like Maiden, Motorhead, or Thin Lizzy, or Purple yeah. thing, and and of course you want to do yeah. that. You know, that's a, that's a good, especially, thing. and I think that's that, a good kind of regression. It's, you know, it's kind of regression or de- devolving, but in the right way. It's almost like a. It's a devolving progression. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I think a lot of that is inherent. I, I think it happens because I think if after, dude, let's be honest. I, I mean, uh, me personally, I've, I enjoy playing live a lot more when the bands I'm in are not hard as hell to play. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the, 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 the more technical, the band has been the less fun playing live has been for me. If I if I have a band where I could have a good balance and also get big hooks across and have like you know, that's way more fun. I just want to be able to hammer chords when I'm playing live. I don't want to fucking worry about being a voicing difficult ha- voicing. Yeah, ha- yeah. Have my guitar up to my nipples and just fucking worry about like you know playing tight. And so- I mean, I want to play tight, but I don't want to. I don't want to be clinical. My strap did actually go up a little bit over the years, but it's, it's, it uh, always has to cover the navel. That's very important. 
That's fine. That's yeah. fine. But it, once it starts hitting nipples, John, you gotta stop. Yeah, no, it would never because also my beer belly is growing. So that's, that has to be behind it. <laughs> you know, I'm vain enough for that. <laughs> so this is a lot of reasons why that's the perfect position for me. Like I wasn't that particular as a kid. It was just it had to be low because I, I had right. seen Hetfield and Bjorn Schlotten in flames. Actually, I'd seen them like rocking low on an, on a uh, Les Paul. So I wanted to look like that. Uh, so it was ridiculously low. Always better to rock than it is to not rock. That's uh, very fair. Something to live by for everyone, even if you don't like rock. Yes, exactly. This is a, is this a rock song? Peace Hells is a rock song, isn't it? Um, With metal sound. It could be. It could There's be. a metal sound to it, slightly, in I the leads say, and stuff. I would say... There's double bass towards the end. That's really cool. I would say the double bass is the thing that kills the rock and roll... Any rock and roll vibe. Of Reminds it. me of Iron Man, Sabbath, at the end. like Yeah, okay. You know, you tack yeah, on a really cool end. Uh, fuck, that's yeah. a really good point. I never thought of that, but that's that's pretty spot on. I agree with that. on peace. Easily the best part of, of Iron Man. That's awesome. But I would say PCLs is a is a better tune than Iron Man, perhaps, I think. Uh, well it's a very strong song in, in this style, you know, in this kind of you know easy easy listening hard rock. I've heard both songs probably as many times yeah. as each other. And if I would I would choose P Cells ten times out of ten. Yeah, me too, actually. And I I've I've come to know I've come to love Iron Man over time. First time uh, you hear it, you like it, and then you start thinking like this is stupid, and then you start liking it again. But point being, my point is that with P cells, it never went up and down like that. It's, it's always been like right. if you throw that on, it's, it's a good time. It's fun too. Like you know, we talked about that with with uh, Punter, as you call him. Uh, that's a, maybe it, is it from Punter Punt Road? It could be right because they, they were those guys, the, the fans, Megadeth fans were called Punters, weren't they? I don't know if it was. I don't think it was just um, Megadeth fans, but I think it was just fans. I think that's just a, a term I've heard people use for fans, just in general. I don't know if it's rock and roll in general, or metal dudes in general, or metal metal fans in general. But yeah, punters is is something I've heard. Yeah, I think that's more of like a more of like a UK kind of thing. I don't. We don't really call them that over here, but it sounds pretty punter, punter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Panta. He raised the topic of fun, you know, how he loves injustice, but it's very serious, very dry. And, you know, that was kind of in defense of, of the, those cover tunes. But this song, and maybe that's the reason I would rather have this be a seven-song album uh, any day, because this song has all that relief. Even a bit of, to me, a bit comedic, this track. You know, it's a bit, it's not ha-ha funny, but it's going towards that for me. I mean, I, I, find, it, I find it fun, fun and funny both you know I talk to him every day <laughs> what yeah. do you think i'm broke it's, huh <laughs> that's actually, 
that's a big moment because everything else that they had really written prior to that was like we discussed was not really based or predicated on the hook. What do you mean I can't get the, to work on time? Not embedded to do. <laughs> that's also it's like it's actually what you said there about the stream of conscious and also that kind of average yo. That's also a very average yo. Like it's a character he's doing uh unironically. Mustaine, when he's been in his best, he's always found a way to throw everything in the stew and and just have it work. And, and this is obviously going to maybe come... He was never able to do it consistently album after album, but if you look at P-Cells and if you look at Countdown and if you look at Cryptic Writings, those are all records where he was able to kind of manifest and put together... The, the, the best of what I, I he met does. someone else you did what <laughs> <laughs> uh. what did you say habitual line stepper habitual line stepper that's what he was to become his riff riffs remained intact over the years mm-hmm. but he lost the, the mm-hmm. touch with the MC thing yes yeah, he did he lost his edge because, he lost his edge yeah, because riffing it's incredible how good he still is at that you can still pull riffs that are, well, on the latest album, maybe there ain't no riff that are, you know, conjuring level or, or, or that, but it's riffs that would definitely fit on this record as, you know, even second tier. Uh, so he's a, he's a great riffer. Second best in the world to me. There's, it's only the Iomi that, you know, it's a, has a slight edge, but he, I mean, he has an edge on anyone that attempts a riff ever. Uh, that's stiff competition right there. Yep. Oh yeah, there's a line as we talk about the lyrics, there's one line that of course has to be mentioned because it's so fucking good. The, the line in the chorus, if there's a new way, I'll be the first in line, but it better work this time. That's easily mm-hmm. one of my favorite lines of lyrics ever in all genres. It's a fucking amazing lyric line to me. It's so good. He nailed it. It's he nailed it says it. a lot without being vague or complicated but also sounds cool you know yeah it's not like a, a you know embroidment on the on the wall a life quote it's not that mm-hmm. it's it as much of an i guess earworm then or it sticks with you but it's also very cool and it fits mm-hmm. the song great it's easily among the best lines of lyrics ever written to me 100 percent relatability perfect song to put that line in you know, because it would be good without it. And the line would be good without the song as well, you know. It's, it's that strong. I mean, it, it just, it's, the, the best way for me to always talk about it is, is it's hook after hook, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds. It's almost like it's it's classic tension and release. And then another tension. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go again. Yeah. And then... And then it and then it builds and it builds and eventually it just cascades in state of the art speed metal. Yeah, so they they kind of go Megadeth at the end. P cells era Megadeth. Yeah, they do.
it's a perfect song. There's not one thing I would change about any part of the song. It's everything is a hook. Everything is a slow build. And literally, it's just you could feel the tension build and build and build throughout the entire song. The, the, the chorus is just, it, it, it was, they wrote this for large audiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything about it is just, it's an A plus song. And again, you take this off the record and there's a, there's an unfillable hole on this album. If you remove that you song, take it off a gig, any gig by the band, it's a hole in the gig. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those songs that is, has been overplayed, but I'm still not tired of hearing. Like Enter Sandman, tired of hearing that yeah, song. Yeah, that, that one I never is easy heard to it again. Off, wouldn't it? care somehow. Peace sells, not the same. I could hear, I could hear it today. I can hear it tonight. I can hear it tomorrow. I can hear it any day of the week, and I'm going to be into it. So I'm looking at the not so short and but not so long either. The lyrics, like it's like four paragraphs of verse in total. You know. That all start with what do you mean, as you said before, kind of a bluesy, bluesy, bluesy thing to do as well, right? To have that. I woke up this morning, and <laughs> I talk to him every day. Uh, what do you mean I don't support the system? I go to court when I have to. That's also is this awkwardly f- funny to me. No, there's de- there's definitely humor to it. There's yeah. definitely kind of a wink and a nod. You know? Yeah, definitely. But like we said, not it's not ironic or sarcastic, but there's a wink and a nod still, right? But here's the thing, though. It was doing that really at that time in a genre where there was none of that. That's very novel. Yeah. You know? I always love this bit, too. What do you mean I couldn't be the president of the United States of America? Tell me something. It's still we, the people, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost like rap or something you know like, no it's it's it's, it's again s- stream of consciousness thought yeah you know that's really and he just he again it's not always the what you're selling it's the salesman and you could give that to 10 different singers and i don't, I don't know if any of them can 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 sell it. I think you kind of also, I think part of the Mustaine aura and persona snarl kind of snarl. Yeah. It goes into selling that and making it more believable as well. So in terms of lead guitar, do you have anything specific? Because for me, when I think about this and lead guitar, I just think about. uh, Yeah, I was actually, that was the thing I was going to say that that fucking four note Chris Poland, like that's another hook right there. It is. (laughs) Yeah, like an alarm. Yeah, or a siren. Like that's rather. there's there's nothing there's there's hooks just scattered all over this song. It was not in the cards for it to be unsuccessful. Everything about it was done too well for it to not have caught on with an audience. This song was uh, very easy to analyze. <laughs> Overall, mm-hmm. it's not like we can't add that much expertise to this. You know, we can just like it and appreciate it as much as everyone else, pretty much. But also one of the things that matters too is, and this is something we've already kind of touched on with SOD in the past too, it's like if you're going to have any sort of wink or a nudge or a nod and maybe a little bit of a smile or a sense of humor, music has to be fucking deadly and killer. And, and while he's got some charismatic and you know humorous touches and flair to the lyrical approach and you know on this song, there's also that deadly 
lethal pounding ACDC kind of backbeat with just chugs underneath it. Like that's yeah. that's universal. Speaking of Sandman, a little bit ripped. Universal toughness. A little bit ripped yeah, for yeah. One, I realize now. That's universally tough. Tough. It's it. It's just something that just sinks in with like the the heart. You know, it's like it's just it's got a drive to it. It's got to move. It's just got a, a kind of a bounce to it that is just it's just tough. It's just heavy. You know. So you gotta love a drummer at the level of Gar playing this. I love that. The good old 4-4. Hi-hat closed. Well, I think I read or heard somewhere that he sells. Well, we, it had been talked about before, actually. It was gonna be like an eight-minute-long song. Oh, yeah, Gar, I heard that from. At least Gar. I heard it from my friend um, Quinn. Yeah, Gar cut it in half. Yeah. Not a lot of chords in there. Basically, the chordage is that da 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 pa da. Yeah, this is so good. feeling on this but to me there's something you know there's something to be said for for Megadeth doing this in 86 because Metallica got huge doing exactly pretty much exactly this way later five years later down the line that's yeah that's very weird because Mustaine was definitely ahead like yeah Yeah, they're already doing Black Album as well on this record yeah in in this tune only it's more fun (laughs) you know I don't think there's any song on Black Album that is this fun and good. Not to me, anyway. No, no. No, this would be the best song on the Black Album. Yeah. Black <laughs> Album has that 90s sadness thing that was never really my jam, you know? I, I mean, I like the... It's a good like, record. It's a good record. I like the... Well, I love anthems. Um, I love anthemic oh, But I love Nothing I love, Matters, I have to admit. I think that's a killer fucking song. It's a good song. It's so good. I, I like I like the heavy... It's the last record they had, I mean, before they started becoming a metal band again, where they kind of had that heavy metal guitar tone. So I think mm. that's why it kind of held a place in my heart to some degree. It's not a record I really listened to a lot, and honestly, I never even bought it. My dad had a copy of it, which was one of the reasons why... I. I probably I never wanted to buy it because I was like, this is the record that my dad bought. Ah, you know, see, like yeah, yeah. this is the record that like my dad thought was good enough to own. So I was like, I can't. There's no rebellion that's in there. What, no, there's no rebellion there. Tomb of the mutilated instantly. <laughs> yes, like, exactly. Like Canulingus happening in between corpses. This is the shit. Yes, exactly, exactly. How could I buy this record? But ultimately, I guess the last laugh was on me because I ended up inheriting his record when he passed away. So I guess I do own the black album now. <laughs> All right, rest in peace to senior then. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, Thank you, man. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I did end up getting a copy of that record. I, I got it hardly, still only guess, on, <laughs> on a CDR, on a burnt CD. And I tell you, that cover art is the worst to print on a HP DeskJet printer. <laughs> it's all time, like Dude. soggy. It's totally soggy. It literally is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so Why great. did I even bother so printing great. that? No, uh, it literally is. I mean, they made a joke about it at the time, but it literally is Spinal Tap. I mean, it's true. It really is. Well, I mean, if it's if <laughs> at least printed nicely, it, it's a kind of cool cover, I guess. But on an HP desk yet, that's a soggy piece of paper you put in that. No, I mean, you. I mean, you, you have to probably put that on a clothing line to air out. And properly. you use all your ink. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. There's no no definition on that at all. So I thought we'd we'd actually move to the record piece else, but it was mine. Um. Well, actually, I kind of have. Um, we received an email. Yeah, we got some a little uh, bit of audio as well. There's uh, one or two I'm waiting for that I might have to add later, but I got at least one uh, readily yes, available. Sir. Yeah. Um, we had an email from a friend of mine, friend of the show, uh, John Matt Backless. <laughs> John Norum. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Backless. Yeah, Matt Backless. Yeah. Backless, yes. I told him to, told him to submit one. To, to give us a take verbally because I figure it'd be easier than having to type it, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do it verbally. He wants to write it. All right, so here's the email that was sent in. It said this titled "Peace Sells." Somebody is obviously buying. I feel like there's not much to be said uh, that you guys haven't covered already, but I will point out that it's a pretty, it's pretty wrong thematically to put a song called "I Ain't Superstitious" on a record. That is almost seemingly all about superstition. Yeah, I mean, Dave is totally <laughs> superstitious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is right. Dude, dude, dude goes off on almost every song about dark arts, black magic slash sinister shit. Put the then adds a song out of position. Yeah. I ain't superstitious. Yeah. <laughs> then adds a song out of left field that is so wrong in tone and context for the entire content for the entire context of the record that it stinks up the whole affair that song alone completely drags down the rest of the record down like a bowling ball sitting on a stretch blanket (laughs) remove that song and add something else hopefully not a cover and we have a pretty damn good record Uh, it's hard for me to look at the record without thinking about the records that followed i'm sure at the time p-cells was pretty ferocious stuff but as a credit to the albums that came after, I feel like it generally pales in comparison, and I can't approach it with those beginner's ears. It's still a top five Megadeth record, but probably at the bottom for me. See ya. So uh, there are similarities there with um, uh, my buddy Matthias, Matt, mm-hmm. double Matt, transatlantic mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Matt, uh, yeah. state of the art Mattness. Uh, uh, I'm not nailing this. <laughs> But anyway, there were some similarities. But I think your your buddy there he went slightly harder on it uh, because Matthias was like it deducted from a five out of five, out of five right? That, that was his right. pretty much his sentiment about about that. Um, what was it? The stick man on the Rembrandt uh, and all right. that. Uh, and um, we'll get to our conclusions as well. At least mine. Uh, I'm not going to force you to to rate it or even uh, uh, summarize uh, your opinion on it because I mean you've said everything. But uh, we'll get to that on my end anyway. Well, I, I have a brief synopsis. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, um, I think that it's um, 
it's a record that I don't know if what followed after for the band would have been possible without it because it enabled them because it's a much more focused record than record number two. And that's kind of emblematic of a lot of thrash bands at that time. I mean, specifically I'm thinking about, you know, records by like dark angel and um, creator creator where bands kind of hit their stride on the second record more so than the first, but obviously Megadeth on a much grander scale. Um, I think that I, I don't know if without the success of album number two, I don't know if they get the latitude um, and the rope that they do to go forward and kind of exist as they, as they wanted to be, you know, this record got them more exposure. It got them two music videos that were played on MTV, Mm -hmm. which was something that was very important to get at that time. It got them radio play. Um, It got them. I I don't think that they, I don't know if they toured Europe or outside of the States for the first record, but I'm pretty sure on this record, they, they got to Japan. You know, they, they became a global entity off the back of this record. They sold a lot of records off the back of this record and it propelled them you know, going forward. I'm sure you would like you this know. record as much if it was their last two, though. I mean, it's better that it wasn't, obviously, that you got a lot of other music, but I would say also, other, uh, of course, everything you say is, is very much true, but I would say that the record is, is, is good to the point where even if it didn't really give the band this this ride, it'd be as good still. It stands on its own. Oh, too, yeah. C- commerciality in any sort of, you know, flowers it gets. Like Power Slave. If Power Slave was an album that kind of tanked Maiden, same album, it would have been as, Yo, as it, cool. But of, of course, we're all happy it, yes. it didn't. It actually did the opposite, right. obviously, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's like... But we're also people that live in a world where the, the, um, the success, um, it's almost like an afterthought. Like that's true. Yeah. You just mentioned we just mentioned two records specifically that even if they had tanked for f- dudes like us, guys that kind of ha- you know hang amongst the underground, hmm. um, the, the we would still we would still glow over records like Power Slave and Peace Cells, but who's buying even if they weren't successful? You know, do you want to know why I know that? Because we, we glow do. about records that are Crimson. less successful the same. Crimson. Crimson. But yeah, I, mean, I mean, we, I think you're like you know. me in the sense that you have never had really had a problem with success either, right? Success is totally cool. I've no, I've, I have no problems with success as long as is it's as long as you don't put all the guitar solos into four bars all of a sudden, then it's, something is wrong. <laughs> how, how, contrived. The, how the, but succe- I think the contrived part is, is, is a problem if it feels contrived. Yes. How the success comes, I think, is probably more important than the success success coming. You know, I mean, if 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 you know, if a band completely abandons what they are to be something else, and they're just blatantly chasing only the commercial dollar, you know, of that success, that's well, obviously, that's that never works out. Have you done a music video, Greg? Uh, like a serious one with, with crew? 
Unfortunately, I wouldn't even. I, don't I know. did one. I fucking hated it. I hate hated doing it. It was the worst. I understand those guys. I mean, Maiden have had a lot of videos because they had to, but none of them like like doing them. And I understand Metallica waiting because there's so many shitty ones too. And you're kind of standing there and realizing I'm making a sh- another shitty hard rock video now. <laughs> That's the feeling I had. Not. I mean, our I video. Didn't... I'm not ashamed of it or anything. It's okay. But it was like, why are we doing this? Like, uh, oh, I'm ashamed of my music video. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's that thing. I mean, it's. I mean, it wasn't a crew. It was a one camera shoot. But right. and it was in a band that I was actually in with Matt. Back oh, right. At the time, and um, it's. It, I wish it would go away. Ah, uh, you wish it didn't happen, kind of thing. I I will show it to you. It's fucking. Yeah, you got it. It's you not gotta, good. It? <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Not good. For internal records, it's uh, that kind of stuff has to show for sure. I was gonna say also, I'm, I'm yeah. locking horns with Backless on on one of his points, and that's the, about the mm-hmm. ferociousness. I think for me, Peace Hells is the meanest record in the catalog. It is, but I mean, clearly there's a bit more of of um, let's call it um, Rust in Peace is a more technologically refined rifle for sure. But right. this is the fucking muskedunder, you know, like a pirate gun, uh, which is mean. <laughs> like you get shrapnel everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, I think this is the meanest Megadeth record, and it, I think it's a very hard record. Very like you know, as, as we say, Sweden Horde. But I, it's, it's I can see hit. where he's coming from. I think he 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 came across that record long after he had already graduated to death and black metal and, right. and stuff like that. And I think that. You know, but I guess for some uh, people, I'm not locking it, horns it, with it that. Can become... It's more like comparison, I guess, is with the Rust in Peace. Clearly, it must be right. He's in, that's kind of in between the lines there that uh, Rust in Peace is, is better and heavier and, and harder, which is it's yeah. not a it's not a weird statement. But uh, I don't agree with it. I think this. That's I think fine. this one is uh, is a bit meaner. I mean, Good Morning Black Friday, oh, I, Bad Omen. Oh, it's, it's I, I, I'm with you on that one. I, I mean, you're not going to get any argument or disagreement from me on that. I mean, it's definitely, it's, 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 it's a dark record in a lot of ways. It's, it's, and it's dark in a way, and kind of rowdy, you know, but not sex rowdy, more violence rowdy, you know, like kind of like. Yeah, I would say it's kind of got a like it, it's. It's almost like dark in a way that mid '90s European death yeah. metal had, and maybe like early '90s American death metal had. It's got that kind of darkness, which they never had again after this record. Like uh, autopsy lyrics to me. You know, in in Good Morning. Yeah, yeah, gasping yeah. for yeah. air or Good Morning, interchangeable. Yeah, oh, I, I I've said before, I'll say it again, I'll say it a thousand times, Cannibal Corpse needs to do a cover of Good Morning Black Friday. That was like the lyrics of that song, and that is that is just ripe for a Cannibal Corpse to do a cover song. Also in the same sentence, or in the same set of sentences, I can also kind of um, team up with Matthew, because I'm very happy about the fact that Rust in Peace is so hard, still, you know, years after this. Uh, if if yes. I think this is the meanest, it's a pretty small margin then. So uh, so I, I celebrate the fact that the, you know two records later, after this radio hit song that we did today, this radio rocker, the you know the classic heavy metal, classic hard rock city in the gas station, they go and and make like take no prisoners, that kind of weird shit. Uh, it's cool. I th- I think 
Peace sells is darker. Maybe maybe it is, yeah. But rest in peace is uh, rest in peace is uh, dark like space, <laughs> and, and this is dark like an alley, you know? <clears throat> or yeah. a seance okay, or something. That's good. You know? I can get in with it's that. It's a bit more in down in the dirt, and and uh, rest in peace is like you know the big shit, the conspiracy theories and the aliens and the, uh, holy wars. Oh and, yeah. Yes. Yes. They're not too similar, those two records, I don't think, which is great. Like some bands, their best work is of the same ilk entirely. I think uh, one of the big treats with Megadeth is that they reinvent other ways to be as awesome as this. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, At least three times more, I would say, in the discography, in different ways. You know, they never redid Peace Sells, but it was buying. No, they never did. And that's good. Because you know that makes this record more valuable, I think, not to, to not try and redo it. Oh my god, absolutely! That's one of the reasons why it's so great and so special. Because this was, they kind of were in an era that those first, those first six or seven records, they were, they were almost, they weren't just records; they were eras. They were things they never did again. They never had. They never had a record like Killing. A wise man once said, "This lineup wasn't in for a long time. Was in for a good time." I don't know if a wise man said that, but a man said that for a sure. A man that applies thought, but is not necessarily <laughs> a man that a applies thought, but is not a thinking man. <laughs> not has definitely said that. <laughs> yes. 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 Exactly. And, uh, I mean, we mentioned everything that is cool about this record, and now we're summarizing it. We got the artwork. The artwork is fucking incredibly good. Awesome. It's, it's, it's it, it, the it, it, artwork for for this style. Uh, I, I like Master Puppets. I think it's a cool cover art, but I think that's very Metallica. It is not uh, for this style of music. I love Rain in Blood, but I find that very Slayer. Whereas this one mm-hmm. is like, there's a reason uh, the Pizza Thrashers went for for this one because this is again, it's like yeah. the mood board, the lookbook for the entire genre. It's not like owned by Megadeth as such. Yet it is very Megadeth too, right? It's it's an excellent cover. It helps set the um, the visual aesthetic for really the for really the genre. If you think about it, eighty six, caught summer in time, incredible cover in its own right, uh, and never really mere matched by any other cover. Trying to do that detail thing, you know, where's Waldo? Uh, but it's in Blade Runner with Eddie. Incredible cover. You got Master Puppets, more of the kind of uh, stylistic, clean. Uh, symmetrical or uh, geometrical kind of approach and also like you know the the grave uh, message of of graves basically and, and then you got this all colorful right. and all cartoonish shit but also also mean and then raining blood which is more like a, uh, i'm not an art expert but there's certain area that you know of oil paintings and shit that looks like that very murky and uh uh, you know, stinks of blood, which is great. You know, all the all the covers I mentioned are to That's me a great way of putting awesome it. Stinks covers. of blood, love five that. out of five covers. All these for me, and not in mm-hmm. the same way. Uh, yeah, I'm very partial to to my year of birth, '86. <laughs> I still am. You know, after we've been on it for a long time now. Like we said, uh, I think that's the. That's the year that cemented that decade as the metal decade. Are you 81 or 2 or what is it? 2, 82. But that's a good year too. Number of the Beast. Yeah, there was some there were some important records. Screaming for Vengeance, Number of the Beast. Uh, Balls to the Wall was the year before, was it? No, I think Balls to the Wall was 84. I think ah. 82 was uh, Restless and Wild. That was pretty important. That's important. 
that was the fastest Nick Anderson ever had heard. He showed it to his dad. Not because he thought his dad would like Fast as a Shark. He just showed it because there can't be anything faster than this, can there? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. He really hadn't heard anything faster than that. Fast forward a few years, every all of his songs are faster than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I heard the same from Meshuggah as well. I think it was Morton in Meshuggah said uh, Whiplash. When he heard it, he, he was sure it was faked because you can't play that. Really? You can't play that fast. <laughs> I, oh, dude, th- th- see, that's the thing. There's there's an innocence there yeah. that's, that's so great. That's so great to hear stuff like that. Yeah, this album is part of those innocent years for me as well, which is cool. I love it as a, you know, 40 minus, as I call myself these years, <laughs> 40 minus year old. I, I love minutes. it more now than then, but it's also like totally fitting to be a record in yourself when you're 13. Yeah. So it's for all ages. You know, everybody's invited to this party, pretty much. If I mean, if you like metal, of course. Mm-hmm. Because it's sure, awesome. the song might be a bit of a rocker, but the album is totally metal. You got if you don't like it's metal, a, you, you you're gonna hate this record. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're fucking hate it. You, that's the thing. That's a record that that I don't think you can like that record if you don't like heavy metal. No, no, bad omen and all that good. Good. Morning. Not possible. Yeah, I mean, dude, you can't. Yeah, it's 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 a. May, here's the thing. Maybe you could hear. You can maybe not like metal, but hear a record like Euthanasia. You could find yeah, some things to dig even into. Like, uh, parts of Maiden, which is a totally metal band, but parts <clears> of it. You can get down with, I think, just because of the strength of the melodies, and it's not that hard-edged. Or Metallica, mm-hmm. you mentioned, obviously, an, an obvious case, Motred. Uh, sounds pretty hard and heavy, but it's also like rock and roll and simple music. You know, This is not that. The, they mm-hmm. sure loved Motred, and they got a bit of the pace. But uh, the music is, I mean... Uh, out of my, uh, if, if you take some of my loves in metal and you try and find opposites, this is quite far from... Motorhead, you know, look at the riffs. It's almost the opposite riffage. Oh, yeah. There's no, there's not a whole lot of rocking on this. There's no, there's some, yeah. not a lot. I guess I can get to that now. Does I and Superstitious drag down the entire result for me? And the answer is maybe I've alluded to it. It doesn't for me. It's all right. It can be there. I would have slightly, ever so slightly preferred a seven track album because I have a thing about seven track albums. I think it's a very cool amount of tracks. If it's a, like an angular or a characteristic or weird record, it's a very fucking cool number, seven. Eight is the classic number. Yeah. It's also a great number of tracks. But this would have been a killer seven-track album. Uh, and I, But I wouldn't want to replacement or anything for the song. I wouldn't want that. I'd rather just seven tracks. And in summary, it doesn't drag it down for me. I give this record a full score. It gets a full score. I Yeah, I, I, I'm... I'm reticent to really. It gets the top rate. It's, it's great. It's a top record. You know, <laughs> what can you say? It's, it's. There's a reason why. I mean, if it wasn't, we wouldn't have dedicated this much time to it. Just look, look at fucking. But also, fucking to be fair, we're also dedicating a lot of time to risk too. I guess. <laughs> well, that's in a way different way. You know, that's more like, a, you know, um, I guess that's more of us in in, in some weird some kind of self-punishment ritual maybe or exploration yes i don't know uh, i don't know what it is but I'm, I'm glad we're doing that too but i mean yeah i was gonna say wake up dead that song in itself it's so good <laughs> it's a ridiculously good song uh, and yes. it's not even my favorite on the record 
but it's ridiculously good. It's I, I can ch- challenge any band to come up with a song that cool. This was a record that I had heard, you know, hundreds of times before we even did this, but because of our analysis and also the isolated tracks that you dug up and presented, it really did it really did have me going back to listen to it. Like it wasn't the analysis of the record did not have me weary of listening to the record. It didn't stop me from listening. Right? If anything, it only allowed it to to creep back into my playlist. You know, more regularly. Uh, it's great. I, I, there's a couple of more audio entries. Should we go for one? Yeah, let's do it. I've got one in the email, one in my DMs. Um, the DMs is um, Matthias again. Uh, why is it on the Matthias? Why is it on the record, Reynoldson? <laughs> and uh, this is. Uh, I know that this is about specifically uh, Ellison and the bass, which we touched on before. So yeah, I might fitting when we do this song, right? I'd like you two guys to talk a bit more about Dave Elfson and identity. We talked about what a great drummer Gar Samuelson is. And that guy, even though the music is pretty tight, uh, brings a lot of identity into his playing on the drums. Talk about the guitar playing, which is very sharp and to the point, but you can also hear tons of identity, as well, of course, as Dave's vocals. Maybe I come off as a bit of a Steve Harris elitist kind of guy, but maybe the problem with Dave's lack of identity comes down to playing with a pick. But I guess it might have been a choice for him because some of these parts are very, very fast. Take a song like My Last Words. Some of these bass parts are ripping. And to play those with your fingers would, I guess, be pretty, pretty hard. So I guess he settled for the pick just to keep things very tight, to the point, and sharp, just like the music of Megadeth is all of that. So maybe he serves the songs, maybe he serves the music, but he doesn't really serve the bass with his playing. He plays all this stuff like someone, like a guitarist would play the bass. Another part of the problem for me is his sound. And I guess again, the the answer to my question, why he chose that bass sound, is because they wanted to keep the sound clean and to the point. But at the same time, it's really, really boring. The sound is just like someone going into a music store, picking a decent rig, plugging in his bass, and just starts playing without altering any of the knobs on the amplifier. It just sounds like a standard routine operation kind of bass sound. Why is that? There's no identity. So, again, is he a good musician? Yeah, he's a really good musician. Is he a good bass player? I wouldn't say that. What's your opinion? What is your opinion, Greg? Uh, I think Ellison's great. Yeah, that's mine I mean, too. I, I I actually I hear I hear Matthias on all this. I hear him. Uh, he's not he's not talking out of what do you say out of uh, order? What's the what's the out of out of state? Uh, out of school? Out, out out of pocket? Out of school? Uh, out of school? He's not not at all, but. 
but also I don't find this sound uh, very boring. I think it has identity in in that clarity of punch, uh, clear transients and very clean. And uh, yeah. sure, he plays a bit like a guitarist, but this is also thrash metal, you know. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what you have to do. And I've heard him say also uh, that the sound was for being primarily for being audible to be able to be heard. I've heard him say that himself. I think I believe he fair. could probably play most of the stuff with his fingers. Uh, I don't know because we, we see him with a pick. But I think it was I think it was a production type choice. Uh, that's what I think. He was he had you know when he had joined the band he was a finger style player mm. and Mustaine had actually asked him to try playing with the picks. He thought it would fit the, um, fit the sound of the band better. And, um, so could, could Allison have played it at that time with his fingers? It's possible. It wouldn't have sounded like this though, but, for sure. But it wouldn't, but it wouldn't have had that sharp, bright attack. And for a song like my last words, that, that the, the playing in the verse, you need to have that sharp attack, and you, you're not going to get that with your fingers. We talked you know? before, right, about the guitarist having the idea for the bass and just giving it to the bass. Do you think that was a mistaken idea that he gave, that ostinato, uh, or do you think it was an, a, a junior idea? It's that's a good question. I've never heard Mustaine take credit for it. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> good point. So that 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 to me might give some credit or credence to the fact that maybe Allison came up with it, but I don't know. It's a cool thing. You know, I, I can't think of that many metal songs with a bass ostinato where the guitar switches right. chords and the bass don't. Like in Billie right. Jean is the one I can think of, which is not a metal song. No, definitely. But it's a good not. song. That one also has the yeah. the steady bass line, and you switch the chords with mm-hmm. the instruments atop. I love yeah. how that sounds, you know. Like my last words is, it has so many of the things I love. That it makes it really weird that I didn't find it before now. And might be because of that cover before. <laughs> Could be like I just kind of all right. I'll switch to another record now. You know, uh, even though yeah. I listen on CD. I mean, you can't track skip. No, that's the thing. I think I think that that maybe is why that song has kind of a, been buried in like the the deep cut portion of the discography it's it's very possible that people shut the record off at at track seven yeah you know <laughs> could be and i would say even though we didn't agree per se with matthias i think it's something we can keep in mind for later and maybe try and find um well both things that add strength to the argument of his and to the counter argument as we go through the discography but i can say as much as it was always a bass player that i favored uh, the sound, everything. And maybe it sounds a bit 12 o'clock. I thought it was great. Uh, but I'm a 12 o'clock guy too. You know, when I play but guitar, okay all I that. do is I cut a little bass so it doesn't get too boomy. I don't do extreme EQ. Yeah. I don't like doing extreme EQ. I don't... That's the thing. I'm I'm always about... I don't know. I do pretty much that. People... Malcolm Young EQ, you know. Just take a, a bit of the bass so that you get a clarity in the, in the rhythm. <clears throat> then it's done. I'm... Some people are, are tone are tone obsessive, and I'm I'm that to the most minor degree. If I can get it to basically whatever I'm I just like, I'm cool with that, and I'll just let my fingers and my brain come up with the rest of the tone, you know. And um, I'm not saying that like you know I'm like this fucking guy that oh the tone is 
it's all up here and it's all in my hand or whatever. But it kind of is. There though. is an element. Kind of is there. It kind of is. But yeah, I, yeah of, course, of course, of course, I know that that kind of is. But I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't want to sound like a fucking you know jerk off. You know, make it seem like I'm this fucking virtuoso. You've been very open about not, the struggle, like, right? You can also give yourself yeah, uh, struggle. You can give yourself yeah. the green card too as well. But I mean, <laughs> I uh, not you don't need a green card. That's for non-U.S. citizens, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> the green light, rather. But anyway, green light. Uh, That's for me, green light. when it comes to uh, dialing tone for my guitar playing, I spent a lot of time doing it when I didn't know what I wanted. Then I spent a lot of time. <clears throat> Now what I do is, well, well, I guess you semi-refrain from saying that I, I only find the tone that feels right. So it's not so much ears, it's ears, but a lot of fingers. Like if, if the tone is translating what I feel, that's the tone I want, which happens mm -hmm. to be 12 o'clock with a little less bass normally. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on cut. I'm big on keeping the mid-range identity of the instrument and... And I'm big on just, it has a cut. Like, you know, honestly, like when I think of my guitar tone, I try and if I, if there was any way to, to get something with like maybe a, a little bit of a higher gain version of Van Halen 1 and Danzig 3, mm. like that's Danzig kind of... It's a good tone. I love that guitar tone. Very Marshall basic, but also yes. saturated enough. Yes, yes, it's got cut to it. Yeah, it's a good tone. I don't like I don't like big boomy bassy guitar tones. You know that's not really my thing. You know, I'm a bit of a fan of um, How the Gods Kill. I think it's a great record. It's a great record, but that's honestly even if the songs had sucked, which they don't, the songs are fucking awesome on that record. But in John Christ, he he's a great player, but his tone on that record is just it's perfect. But the song, the title track, How the Gods Kill. It makes me think of uh, one of my favorite Maiden tracks too, uh, Remember Tomorrow. I got a little bit of that vibe in it, that kind of simplistic, yeah. heavy metal, dark ballad, which I don't That's think is, right. it's not overdone. Cannot end this morning of my life. Show me how the gods kill. Hey guys, it's Callum from Ternus here. I'm going to just give you my two or three cents worth on Megadeth's piece sales, but who's buying. I would start off by saying it's a very important album for me personally. Uh, very influential in making me want to become an absolute maniac on stage of a guitar. I still remember the first time I ever saw that cover in a HMV in Glasgow and just being mesmerised and wondering like, what on earth is this? Um... And I still get the same feeling listening to it now that I did as a kid, where it has just this energy and charisma that grabs you like literally by the, the frontal cortex and just does not let go until 
it finishes. Um, there's a magic to that album that's just not you just don't get to hear too often, even within Megadeth's own catalogue. I think as well with this album, when I'm listening to it, I can't escape its history. And what I mean by that is the intentions of the songwriter are very obvious, especially when you compare it to Killing Is My Business. With Killing Is My Business, that came after two Metallica albums that had Dave Mustaine's name on them. And he was looking for musical revenge by taking a very technical and speed-driven approach. And whilst it certainly does outclass Metallica on those levels, I don't think it would have done so on a commercial basis any day of the week. And I think Mustaine noticed this. And Peace Sells But Who's Buying is very much a um, turning of the, the, the road, I guess, where he is taking a much more intentional route with his songwriting, where he's trying to appeal to a lot more people with songs like Peace Sells But Who's Buying, which is essentially a pop metal song, really, with a punk political message. Um, Devil's Island is a very almost traditional speed metal song. Um, And the... Yeah, the the songwriting has a lot more direction, I would say, and a lot more sort of traditional structures, which is going to rope people in. I also don't find it very coincidental. This is the album that first kicks off their um, tenure with Capitol Records at that point. Arguably the biggest record label at that time. Certainly one of them anyway. This quest by Mustaine for commercial superiority, we'll call it, is also reflected in the general sound of the album and the production, where we've gone from them sounding like a nasty little band that's come out the back end of LA, kicking and screaming, and with P Cells, we've got a band that sounds like it's going to be the biggest band on the planet at any minute soon, and you know, big drums, wall-to-wall guitars, massive crowd-style vocals. To really just feel like this is a party you need to get in on, otherwise you're going to regret missing it. And it helps Megadeth get to the top. Thanks a lot, Callum, for a thoughtful input. And uh, this was, of course, Tireless with um, a worse reality. So onward to the next listener input. What's up, guys? This is George and Hattie coming at you from the Judas Priest cast with a crossover because we got the call to talk about Megadeth's Peace Sells But Who's Buying, and we have answered. And just to further increase uh, crossover potential, Fergal from Feckin' Metal is in the room with us, too. And we're just going to share our brief thoughts on Peace Sells, But Who's Buying? Hattie, you like this album, right? Yeah, I do. It's been, though, forever. I listened to the whole album as a whole, but I have my two cents about the song. But let's hear from you and Fergal first. Yeah, I'll tell you. This is one of the first albums I ever bought with my own money. 
and I had just been starting to get into metal and rock because of CDs that I inherited. And then at a certain point, I saved up some Christmas money and said, I need to explore further. I need to start checking out these other bands I've heard of. And I was buying CDs from Maiden and Slayer and Metallica and Megadeth. And Peace Cells was the one that I started with because I heard so much praise about it. And it mm -hmm. took me a little bit to get used to the Dave vocals, but I got used to them. But I was always, always into the sick guitar work, like right from the beginning. Like it starts with Wake Up Dead and there's no slow intro. It doesn't waste any time kicking your ass. And everyone likes that song, for the most part, who's a Megadeth fan. Mm -hmm. A lot of people now, they know Dave Mustaine as a crazy conspiracy theorist personality. But when you hear a song like Peace Sells, it's a nice refreshing reminder that at a certain point, he had a real message and he had some intelligent things to say back in his prime or yeah. back when he was on tons of drugs whichever gave him that creative juice <laughs> probably the whichever drugs. made him. yeah well yes i have a few things to say about this song because like this uh, as i always say i am rather political about a lot of things and this is a very consolidated message on a lot of things that are still relevant like it was an 80s song like an mid 80s right uh 86, sure. it was 86. the album. Yeah. And um, the world was different then. Like there were two Germanys, Cold War was ha happening, everything was there. And in that climate, Peace Cells uh, gave a very good message that, yeah, you are just making peace a commodity. You were just using human, pe like uh, innocent people as like pawns and just doing whatever you want to and generating profits for yourself. So, yes, it is still relevant to us, like even though there's no Cold War or like to Germany's and all that. But still, we can see that divide. So, fuck yeah, this song still makes sense. Put a price on peace. Love that line. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you can put a price on peace. Seems like such a simple question, but you could talk about that for a while. It's a very far cry mm -hmm. from where Dave Mustaine is now, but this album and this song especially, they're pretty timeless, I would say. Forever. Virgil, you like this song? Yeah, it's it's one of the songs I would know. We were just talking before we started recording there. I said I'm not a huge Megadeth fan, but I it was another band I got into through Greatest Hits. Um, I think it was out in about 2005, Greatest Hits, Back to the Start. And this was definitely on it. Uh, so I do know this one. And uh, I think Wake Up Dead was on it as well. Um, so, yeah, kind of listened to Megadeth kind of through a greatest hits and then would, did did listen to several other albums afterwards. But I wouldn't be massively familiar with them either, you know. Um, but, yeah, I definitely like that song mm -hmm. and Wake Up Dead. And I know there's the whole controversy around The Conjuring as well for a long time, which seems to have been lifted now, too. Right. Dave Mustaine infamously stopped playing this song and a few others when he became a born again Christian because he found something offensive in his own lyrics in any sort of songs that were had to deal with the occult 
I am glad he's playing it again because The Conjuring, that happens to be a particular favorite of mine, there's something about the drumming and how when it kicks in on the verses with that fast but repetitive rhythm that it just feels it feels very thrashy for lack of a better word Yeah, so when I think about the word thrash, like that's exactly the kind of drum and guitar sounds that are coming to my head, probably as a reflection of how this is one of the albums I started with. Makes sense. So yeah, a lot of good shit on this record. If I made top 10 of my favorite Megadeth songs, probably half of them are going to be from P-Cells. <laughs> I think it's their best album. Yeah, it's at least one of the best. Fergal, Hattie, thanks for joining me to record this. We're actually about to we're actually about yeah. to record a episode of our show in a minute, but hey, happy to put this together for Jonathan and Greg and all you Megadeth fans. So until next time, keep defending the keep faith. Defending the faith. That's it. Defending the faith. I know now because this that episode is out. They did a song of Rockarola, I think Wind Windmill, Run of the Mill, run of the which mill, was yeah. very not Run of the Mill. Cool track. Uh, well, m- mostly just. Well, I can just agree with the with the praise there. I I knew that Fergal wasn't b- super big on Megadeth. I mean, he's not a thrash listener per se, but I could sense that he probably likes Wake Up Dead, <laughs> which he did. <laughs> because how can you dislike that track? It's fucking impossible. It's too good. It's too good. Too good. I mean, I guess just kind of sum it up, like I alluded to earlier, it's the record that I think really allowed them the latitude to go to the places that they would end up going over the next 10 years, really. Or entire 10, 11 career, years. Depending on how we look at it. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if you want to even broader, broader this could be... In every set still. Even the yeah, short sets. This record, this record could be the foundation that the rest of the, the discography has been built on. Yep. And is it the best Megadeth record? I, that remains unsaid from my end. Mm-hmm. So I will neither confirm nor deny that uh, it is a great <laughs> I would record. say it's definitely in their top five for me. Oh, yeah. Top, for sure. top five for sure. I, I, I can't say top three. I'm fine saying that. You know, that doesn't spoil that much. Top three for sure. But right. then it gets uh, more crowded and it will take years to, to find out. But <laughs> let's find out. Right. But uh, I would say let's also, I, I, I would also like like to summarize 86 since that's where we began with this whole thing and um, that whole cold war era that aesthetic it was good for metal it worked for metal somehow very very incredibly yeah because metal before that was i guess more street more horror that kind of stuff works too but this cold war aesthetic is work it works so well for something that is powerful and a bit um Honestly, it's it, it it's fear based. It's ominous mm, and it's the, unknown. That's the word. Yeah, ominous, yeah. unknown has power, but also has a bit of risk and danger. Like this, uh, the submarine might sink. <laughs> you know, that feeling too. Yeah, uh, I I, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty partial to that era. That was uh, one of the records I'm making now. That was the idea at first to do something that felt Cold Warish. Then it evolved into something as it does, right? It evolved into something right, different, but. I love yeah. that aesthetic, steel blue, uh, cold, uh, unfriendly, 
it's yeah. winter there's nuclear missiles uh, down under the ground and uh, mm -hmm. uh, shit's about to go down maybe and even if it doesn't it's, it's still uh, terror you know like a quiet yeah. terror and metal is uh, more calculated than rock and roll so that you know cold war feels like it's calculated war so it's very metal you know it's, it's a great uh, great um, canvas for for metal and i agree and i agree 100 percent all right so uh that's it we should say uh, since this was our by far longest uh, i guess theme going we i guess we should just say that um thanks for listening throughout all of it and staying with us on this yeah so yeah we got a lot of cool stuff in here we got a we, we're, i mean i don't think we said it on air but we, we are not intending to do a lot of guest spots either so that was a special with with uh, punt uh, which connected to the takeover uh, by quinn so we had the, the time to we had some wiggle room within this tight concept as well so we, did. Uh, we had a lot of help and thanks to the uh you know obviously the listeners as always but this is definitely thanks to uh to punter and uh and to quinn for kind of piggybacking uh it's the end of, a, of an era here in, in the podcast right so this is yeah it's definitely in the end of a uh a, the peace sells era of the podcast it was cool all right so now at this point what's kind of uh you know, like we've said before, we uh, we always like to share, you know, to some degree what we've been listening to of late, and uh, hopefully, someone out there that maybe be unaware uh, will become aware, and that's really just the kind of uh, the basis of how word of mouth works. And yeah, you know, sometimes is, uh, it's like it could be a, a, a hidden um, gem, but it could also be a mainstream thing that maybe you didn't give a fair shot, right? Yeah. Uh, Exactly. So, uh, We're just doing as children of the underground. Children do. of the underground. Used to be the meatball mile, but Greg wanted to turn it into the meatball kilometer, slightly shorter <laughs> format. And maybe that makes sense, you know, to get some more in there. I mean, they get a fair share of streams too for being totally off topic, but we'll do the meatball yeah. kilometer today. The meatball kilometer is definitely more uh, globally based. Yeah, and it's almost as know. long as a mile anyway, so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, so I guess a couple records I've been listening to of late. Um, um, I mean, it's always a lot, but just to, for the for the sake of brevity, just to kind of go a couple. Uh, one thing has been a band called Tribal Gaze, uh, Texas uh, American death metal band. Meshuggah Cop. And, uh, no, <laughs> I was thinking about that. <laughs> no, no, it was your cop, yeah. <laughs> uh, their record um, that came out late last year uh, called The Nine Choirs. Um, awesome. Totally pulverizing death metal. Um, had it come out earlier in the year, definitely it would have been on my uh, my end of year uh, list as far as uh, favorites are concerned. But it's just, it's very, very angry sounding death metal, which is always great to hear.
always great to hear. And kind of, I guess, on the opposite end of the uh, the spectrum, a lot older heavy metal. I've been listening to the um, uh, the Wild Dogs album by The Rods. Huh. Not familiar, I have to say. I'm slightly familiar with English Dogs, but Wild Dogs is that American yes. band? Uh, uh, no, um, the band The Rods, it's actually... Oh, the Rods is the band, okay, so the album is... The Wild Rods Dogs. is the band, the album is Wild Dogs. Not familiar um, at the all. Band, Doesn't ring the, the faintest bell. Ronnie James Dio's cousin is in the band, huh. uh, David Rock Feinstein. And I think he was also an elf um, at some point. Uh, obviously, Dio's pre, uh, mm. pre-Rainbow band. But um, they're probably more along the lines of like... Um, turn of the decade kind of uh heavy metal as it was kind of leaving hard rock but um yeah very very rocking early 80s metal for sure I did the vinyl pile deal, so I picked the, the two top ones here. Painkiller, the album Painkiller. Uh, the song I've been familiar with for uh, almost longer than any Megadeth track. It was you know, Everyone hears that, you know. The, uh, and I always had this, now I know, false idea that this track, this album would be like that kind of front-loaded uh, super hit uh, title track and then a, a pretty cool second song in... Uh, is it uh, uh, Hell Patrol is the second in. And I had this wrong idea. I thought it was like a phant- uh, not Phantom Hope. I thought it was a Fear of the Dark record that you know has gr- some great songs and then it's like all filler. But um, uh, my my friend oh, uh, Chris, who, the one who showed me Love Death, etc. Uh, he doesn't have a record player, so he buys records and he puts them here, which is uh, good for me. And good works for, him out for you. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, also, he's more scared—not scared, but he's more mindful of the neighbors than I am. So, it's, this is the good place to have them. Uh, but uh, anyway, this record is fucking great. Uh, so many songs on this that are total kick ass. I mean, we talked about you talked about that rather when you were on Priestcast, the pre and post uh, uh, drummer switch mm-hmm. with uh, I, uh, is Scott Travis, is it? Scott Travis yeah. replaced uh, Dave Holland. And, yeah. I, and I was more of a 70s priest guy. Uh, my favorite record is Sin After Sin. So I had been sleeping on this. And I just have to say, it's a, it's a very, it's, it reminds me in that way, maybe of Balls to the Wall or something, that it has that 
steady power and commitment to that power, but also a nice array of songs that they, they you know made work within that. It's a really good album. Uh, special mention, maybe Nightcrawler. That's pretty fucking cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Or Between the Hammer and the Anvil. I think it's a very cool track as well. It's like, if you like metal, you know, <laughs> you can't go wrong. It's a, it's awesome. And the cover art. What's happening here? I'm holding it up for Greg. It's um, pretty out there. Uh, <laughs> pretty out yeah, there. Yeah, it's um, that's a, that's a, a very metallic motorcycle. Uh, capable of some severe damage which is also a dragon and the wheels are razor blades so we're on like driving yes. on fire denim leather on fire the crown territory here it's extremely right. metal and they also have a song with metal in the title which is uh, a good sign metal meltdown yes, yes. yeah so uh, that's the one that's one and the other one well if you if yours were far apart, um, maybe in style of metal, this is far apart in in terms of commercial success because most people have not heard of uh, this Norwegian band Vulture Industries from Bergen, uh, which uh, okay. we we play the same um, festival bill in in Germany with Canopy many years back. It was one of those nice high profile gigs we got and then just didn't honor with a good show. <laughs> Because we we couldn't, our songs were too hard for ourselves. But that's a whole different topic, <laughs> which I hope I've redeemed later in my band years. But uh, anyway, these guys played. And I chose to just forget my gig and completely go into their gig and then proceed going straight to their uh, dressing room after just to tell them this was fucking great. Awesome. I didn't know they were Norwegian, so I came in doing it in English. I didn't know they were Valtry Industries. I thought they were The Rotten, which was another band. So I was like, The Rotten, you guys rule. <laughs> like, <"Hey>, Valtry Industries? <laughs> ah, the Norman also, because you can hear that. You know, they have this very happy sound in their dialect. Right. Nice. It makes you feel good. So you thought they were a different band? And from England, uh, <laughs> but so I go in there, go in there, probably quite high as well. I, I seem to recall ha- having been, but uh, been a fan ever since. And uh, I booked a show for them here in Stockholm. Uh, I worked with them in Hellfest in France, uh, doing well fake work pretty much to get a backstage pass. But uh, they knew that was my idea. That's what that was my pitch. Like, can I go do some fake work with you in Hellfest? <laughs> no. That's a. So I gave the crowd pieces, breadcrumbs, and eggs that they were to throw at the lead singer, who was in this medieval like kind of, uh, you know, uh, if you're a criminal and you're on the square for public. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. Public. Yes. What's the word? Um, Humiliation, yeah, pretty much. Which the crowd was almost too nice to do, so he had to rally them up. Come on, you fuckers! <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was dressed like the band, it's like, you know, turn of the century uh, look, uh, and giving them eggs. And, yeah, and that's that's not that, that's work. That's work. That's some that's work. work. Um, I yeah. got to meet some cool peeps. Then uh, met Zach Wild drinking coffee. That's right. Yeah, that's he right. He didn't know yeah. I had a fake job. <laughs> that's- <laughs> But, but anyway, matter. this band is uh, of sort of an avant-garde uh, metal style, but not avant-garde as it's some kind of crazy neo-jazz or anything. It is it's proper heavy metal, but it is theatrical. And turn of the century is the, is the backdrop, you know, 1800s going into okay. 1900s. You know, think like, think weird drugs in the pharmacy in brown bottles with X's on. Uh, it's a pretty cool backdrop. We just talked about the uh, Cold War backdrop. This is another cool one you can do pretty metal things right. on you know and or, you know think we are the silence sure. 
where you get lobotomized for no reason. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it's quite a political record, which ties to P-Cells as well. The Tower, uh, the, that, there's a line in that song that is good. Is uh, why do they hate us? Because we built it. Why did we build it? Because they hate us. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty clever. Yeah. This is pretty clever, yeah. And it's a rock out song all in 7-8. And you can't even tell because it just rocks out anyway. That's awesome. Vulture Industries to Tower, uh, of course, friends of mine, but I would say first and foremost, I'm a fan, even though you know I just happen to have their emails. That's awesome. I like being fans of bands that I've come to befriend and remain fan and not be, not be all like, I know those guys. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, no, because it's very easy to, it's very easy to just become friend and not, and kind of lose yeah, touch maybe or interest in the music. Professional, like, oh, I'm on the same level as them, you know, or something like that, uh, and lose that uh, reverence. I, I don't want to do that. So uh, I, I make a point of, awesome. of, of remaining a fan and buying t-shirts. It's, t it's just a bonus. You know? That's a bonus then, you know? Maybe I'll get a, um, uh, what's the word, a free ticket for a show, but then I will buy a, a, a vinyl and a t-shirt. So I will still Anytime I will still I've pay. ever been put on... Yeah, anytime I've ever been guest listed, I never, I, I always make sure to at least try and get something from the merch. Yeah. You know, these days I, actually I still, don't do yeah. guest lists either because I've been booking shows before and I know the climate mm -hmm. in Stockholm is terrible now for booking. So I got to support those guys too. So, oh, yeah, I, I, pay the I've, too. I never, I never, I'm never an asker. I'm never, I'm never, hey man, can you put me on a list? It's always ever been offered. You know, I never I've asked would never of dream times. of asking. I've included if I'll buy merch for more money than right. you know, yeah. part of the deal. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but anyway, I can't do that now because I know it's really hard to book gigs. It's sad actually. I'm this is the only thing that I'm sad about in in our realm of uh, of this world, Greg, is that the live it's really, the live, it's really that hard to book gigs has, is going down here. It's it's bad. It's really that hard to it's really that hard to book gigs over there right now. It is very hard to book gigs, yeah. Oh. It's, uh, and also, like, and I get that it's pretty hard to get people to come. 
you know, of course, everyone has been practicing the whole Corona routine and realized how awesome it is to sit at home with <laughs> the resources right. on the web. I don't blame them for this. You know, it's pretty hard to get them to come. I think Americans, like Germans, are a bit better at that. That's my. I think my we're. Idea. I think right now we're at a point where we're at the exact opposite, where people were so ravenously awaiting things to come back around and open up again mm. that that we're the exact opposite of that. Think, but obviously, we have. A, I think the know, Swedes just gave up. The rest like, okay, this is over then. <laughs> is that a joke? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Just gave up. It's like a just funeral vibes up here now when it comes to live scene. It's sad. I mean, well, we just have like yeah, eight I'm stages sure. for small metal stuff in Stockholm. There's one now, and it's a fucking pizzeria. <laughs> it's sad. It'll take some time. It'll build itself back up, but it'll take time. But that one, at least, is a proper club. I like that. You know, it's not just like a random <laughs> nights to get a little bit more in the bar. There's two guys that right. have a club, and they have, you know, a set of uh, regulars that come. And they were the guys that That's did cool. the whole thing with LG as well, with the T-shirts and uh, and all that, you know. So, so oh, okay. they're very involved. Dude, it, it, very you know, as long as, there, as long as there's something that, as long as, you know, it's like if the... As long as there's still embers in the fire, it can be relit. Yeah, I realize I, I got to tell these guys. I haven't told them. I got to tell them. I got to give them props for this because they are really the ones now. And there used to be a few of them. I had my Metal Sundays. I was inspired by some old Metallica poster that I did, like Metal oh, Sundays right, okay. yeah. in, a, in yeah. a bar called KGB. Uh, but that now is like uh, just a restaurant. You know, That's how, how kind of... The, the world of in-city entertainment in, in Sweden is going towards more of that. That's how it's gone. Non-boomers acting totally like boomers kind of thing. You go out and eat mm -hmm. a little bit and you want to be home in time for some TV and go to sleep before 11. Kind of That vibe is taking over a little bit in, in Stockholm. So I hope it changes. Right. But that's the, other than that, as per usual, great to be into metal. It's always great. But yeah, that bothers always. me. It really bothers me. Yeah, it's good. It just takes time. I hope it's better in, in, in Buffalo, in Bilo. Um, tough to say. Tough to say. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. Ever, I don't think it's fully recovered, um, as of yet. But I definitely think it's. It's on its way there. You, if it's on its way there in Buffalo, it's definitely going to be on its way there in Stockholm. You have point. a little bit more energy, though. Americans have more energy, I think. A little oh, bit more. A little bit more enthusiasm. I don't care if it's real or fake. I don't care at all. I love it. <laughs> I think we're also a lot more dramatic and a lot more. I think yeah, the, our our environment is so hyper tense that I think that that there's there's energy and tension, and I don't and I don't really know that if it's energy or if it's tension. Sometimes they could be confused. You know? They could be confused, but not with you. Though. Oh no, me! It's always energy. I, I, always yeah, energy. Yeah, it's going straight from relaxed to. Um, and uh, enjoying Flight of Icarus um, isolated vocal tracks with uh, your entire body. Primarily yes. the hips. Yes, that's <laughs> how you gotta do it. Yeah. That's how you gotta do it. See ya!
Tell me something. It's still we, the people, right? <laughs> 